to groove. The psychedelic jackets on the record album have their own Welcome to the Adam Dunn Show. I am your host, Adam Dunn. And I'm your co-host, Mitch Shinasa. And we have in the studio with us today... From the Funky Fresh Garden Show, Samantha Barcelona, a.k.a. Mary Jane, right? <laughs> the Grow Goddess. The Grow Goddess. <laughs> um, she's going to be actually going to be sitting in with us a lot, I think. And when she's not here, she'll probably be on the road at a trade shows because she's in the industry. Uh, married to uh, a guy also in the industry. And they kind of guys share a shop. And you guys are doing big, some pretty big consulting and stuff, too, right? I mean, he's all yeah. over the place. Um, we actually met at a Max Yield show. Oh, and <laughs> see, there you go. That's, in that's Detroit. Oh, <laughs> get me out of here, right? Get uh, match made here. Like, let's get the hell out of here. So we met there and uh, kind of joined forces in a way. Nice. Um, he was working. He, he's got a master's in horticulture. and um, Cool, so we can get him in the studio sometimes when yes. we, we want to have our brainiac... Uh, Attack because sometimes we yes. have that, you know. We actually like to get more scientific guys together than we do anything else because they seem to definitely and gals, scientific guys yeah. and gals, and gals, of course. But they also they always have to, you know, they're they're very much to the the point where they they're hundred percent sure their way is the right way, you know. So uh, it's always nice to see them b- battle it. Yeah, because they all have different ways, even though they're all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. those are the best you know arguments to listen to is those really knowledgeable people going back and forth and. And being able to back up what they're saying with that that scientific uh, evidence. Sure, sure, and it's great for us because that's our little that's our bonus of the show to draw that out of them in any way, shape, or form, you know, and make it so that we can understand it because that's sometimes it goes over all of our heads. We'll be like, wow. Right, and that's Brain where we kind of come Brain in. Brain hurts. We help each other because he goes real technical, and I kind of say, okay, this is the level, because I come from that retail background. Right. I, you kind of have to take a step down. Right. Yeah, make it, make it a bit more uh, palatable for everybody. Uh, cool, and then we, of course, have the kid who's going to hold it together and make it so sound so good, because we've had some requests, birthday requests, right? Did we have a birthday request? Yes, as a special gift for Chris <laughs> Greenthumb, who yeah. I hope is listening now. The kid is he's going to work. He's working extra feverish, hard. Feverish, feverish. Look at him switching the switching headphones, headphones back and forth, <laughs> making sure the levels are right. I'm double checking my mic technique. He's, yeah, you're slowing down. You're you're trying to keep your your my distance. voice calm. I have to not sit way back here. Right, because that's not okay. And we're gonna do Chris. We're gonna do yeah, our goddamnedest with the Skype callers, man. And happy birthday, bud. Um, cool. And then what was that? Is that a little home? No, that's just. All right. What the fuck it, are you talking <laughs> about, dude? <laughs> I thought I heard a hum. <laughs> Too many dabs, man. Lay off the dabs, man. I'm hearing I a, shit. I thought I heard a hum. All right. I don't want to get mad. Chat room says audio is legit. Good uh, job. Thank you. And then, uh, so give us a little idea of what's going down today, Mitch. And today Since we're you talking. Put it together, it's another Living Soil Day presented by it's Build a Soil. Living so- you need an intro. You need a song. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Dad needs I a song. Know. That was a song. So we got about two 45-minute segment, segments, and what we're going to be talking about specifically was Jeremy had a really good idea. He's like, 
well, I'm build a soil. I sell stuff for you to build a soil with. Mm-hmm. I can't look at your face like that. I know it's all beat up. I know. Oh yeah, Friday. Yeah. If you see like like wounds on my face, it's uh, it, I was. He was attacked by a tiger. Was you'll notice no. By a fucking no. tiger. You have to tell the truth. <laughs> I know. He was at the zoo. The truth. Because tigers to the cage just scrape Nick. you lightly well, on no, the forehead. He got too close to the cage with Nick, and he was saying like, "Look, look, Nick, look, 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 <laughs> that, that's why that's why it looks like a bum cut because it it's a bum di- cut. It looks like a dumpster diver sort of deal, but it, yeah. it kind of was. It was actually just dumping trash. But yeah, I kind of forgot if you put a huge box into a into a dumpster, you lift the lid up really high with it, it does come back down. You know. So here's so, the problem, buddy. What's that? It does. <laughs> I still can't look at you. you I know. Even, put the hat back on. Put the hat back on. Do it. Do it. Yeah, that one. Lower. That's too high. That's too high. Oh my god! How's that? How's that? How's that? That. Okay. <laughs> we got Jeremy Soil, Jeremy, Jeremy Soil, Jeremy Soil Silva himself. calling in oh my God. to talk about what building soil means, what the appropriate ratios of what sorts of things, what the principles of soil are, so you can actually take advantage of this awesome gardening method that we cool. keep talking about. Sweet, cool, sweet. The kid doesn't care. No, I'm actually excited because it's an hour and a half of really scientific stuff, kid. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We got 50 people in the chat room already. You want, do you think this they want some news? Uh, in about 2 and 50. 2 so minutes and 50 seconds yeah. is we're going to get news? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just excited. You're I'm just yeah. excited. I love the sound. I know. And we're only going to hear it once today because there's only one real news topic we're going to talk about. One news topic. It's a one topic day. Uh, it's just a kind of an important thing. So we're going to talk Did about it. Anything else happen? Something else happen? I mean, I, I, I can look it <laughs> up. Yeah, I mean, you have any crazy news? No. No. No, so no crazy news. No crazy news. So tell me about your week, other than getting your face cut. Oh, uh, it was a busy week, man. I had to move, uh, move my junk around. That's always fun. Uh-huh. That's how I scrape my face because it was junk. <laughs> I was like, ah. That's how I scrape my face. Yep. <laughs> face scraper. Moving yeah, junk. No, moving junk. Which junk. is but always, you found some cool stuff, or I found, yeah, you do find it's it's funny. Has like you know when you're doing the big move, it's like a feverish you know feverish pitch, and you're just like throwing stuff away. Ah, I don't care anymore. And then later, when you start to go back through it. It's like gems, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh my god, you know, there's the charger I've been looking for yeah. forever. And it's like I threw that phone out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's those little things that you know, little connections you can find. So there was some good stuff, but there was a whole bunch of stuff where I was like, why am I even keeping why this did stuff? I keep what that? was I thinking? But then there's some stuff like the bar from the from the hood lab. I can't throw it away. I'm having can't a hard time. Away. I'm just having a hard time with it. It's like, God damn it. I'll take like, it. What are you do? I'll exactly put it in my apartment. It's not gonna fit. It doesn't fit through a door. Jaeger bombs. Right. I have I have patio doors. You couldn't lift it, up, dude. It, my my patio's down. He'll we actually only put it on his motorcycle. To drop it, yeah, put it on your motorcycle. I'll put it on my little one twenty five cc. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. 36, anyway, yeah. stuff like that, like big bulky stupid things that you just like. Oh look, there's all those stickers. But did you find? <laughs> <laughs> there is so much <laughs> shit. So there's all those dabs on there. Did yeah, you find any cool stuff uh, in your garage when you cleaned that out? <clears throat> oh yeah, I found some beans in there. Oh, cool. what'd yeah, you like, find? Um, I found some. Some of the original THC stuff that I kind of had, like, when I first got here. So that was kind of cool. Like, the just, I was like, wow, okay, got a bunch of, you know, it's, but not, not, nothing exciting there, though, because it's like, all right, things I already, you know, had. But then I found one, I thought it was dab. So it was in a little, it was in, a, like, a little uh, dab piece of, looked like it was a little piece of paper rolled up in the inside of a, 
uh, glass thing, and I was like, "Ooh, what's that? Oh, Maybe nice. some old dabs. See what it is." Classic. And then dabs. I opened it up, and it said, I, "All I could read was 1982 mm. with a bunch of beans." And I was like, "Ooh, seeds from 1982." I was like, wow. "1982." I was so somebody gave then. me those when I that's first. I, mean, got I wasn't born. Yet. That's what I mean. I wasn't born. <laughs> so I'm going to crack later. those this week. I'm going to try to see what those. If any of those pop, because like I was saying earlier, I was inspired by uh, by uh, seeing Scott Reach's post where he had cracked some beans that were pretty old too what were they they were in the 80s they were super old yeah yeah and then they were you know they well, let's, do, let's make that a show segment let's follow on uh, follow these beans i'll try i mean yeah, let's do make, it. if they crack if they yeah, don't follow we, can, we can generate a whole even, new a whole new segment germed. directed yeah. just towards the uh, we'll just look okay. at it okay. like, well, we'll let's, do, let's do the we'll, one segment we'll we got 20 minutes where we just stare at it You can't make the clip and then wait fucking three seconds for the fucking news. What's the now news? we have to do it all over again, <laughs> goddammit. Senators join forces for medical marijuana. Christ- Kirsten Gillibrand, Cory Booker, and Rand Paul join forces for pot. And this is from the Daily Intelligencer. Senators Intelligencer? Chris- yes. I'm that reading doesn't it. Sound, that doesn't even sound. That doesn't even sound intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Intelligence, sir. I'm gonna get the intelligence, sir. The daily intelligence, <laughs> Daily. <laughs> they have to add one more er to the back of that thing. Well, then, then allow me to allow me to flip it to this version of the story. Give me, give me, give me another. You uh, need another news? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna clear it. Cleanse my palate. So this is from the Safe Access Now website, and it says, Thank the co-sponsors of the Senate Carers Act. And I don't know if Carers. it's pronounced careers, but it's careers with only one E, so I'm going to call it carers until I'm... That doesn't make sense yeah. either. Carers? These, these guys, they got to go to spelling. Carers. <laughs> Maybe it's carers. It's carers. carers. Oh, carers. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Carers <laughs> Act. So <laughs> the introduction of the Carers uh, Act... Carers? Carers? The, the, it's a tough one. <laughs> combine, no. combine all those words and you have your annual, sentence. Annual. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Can I have your mate, please? <laughs> yeah, no. You, you You're cut off. Um, thank you to the co-sponsors of the Senate Carers Act. The introduction of the Carers Act by Senators Booker, Paul, and Gillibrand is a historic moment in the medical marijuana movement. For the first time ever, we now have comprehensive medical marijuana legislation in the U.S. Senate. The bill would allow state programs to continue without federal interference, reschedule marijuana out of Schedule 1, remove CBD from the scheduling, create access to banking services for legal marijuana businesses, end the public health service review process and NIDA monopoly that blocks research, and allow VA doctors to write recommendations in states that have a medical marijuana program. Sounds all... Hunky that sounds dory. pretty great, it sounds right? Sounds all hunky dory. Well, the banking but thing is huge. There's a lot of great stuff in it, but here's the thing: right in the middle of that whole block, they said schedules from schedule one to schedule two, right? Mm-hmm. So I was talking to Warren Edson this morning, and he said that's not so good. Well, yeah, he was saying it's not so good because once it's schedule two, yeah, we can't grow it anymore. Technically, only a licensed Schedule Two manufacturer can manufacture like a, that substance. A pharmacy or whatever the generic. No, no, pharmacies don't even make drugs. No, pharmaceutical. Pharmaceutical too. companies, it, like exa- like it would have to be like like ibuprofen or Tylenol. Tylenol can only be you know manufacture Tylenol. But so it would but have to be no, a but Tylenol like is not Schedule Two. That's the thing. It would be like Bayer or like okay. Pfizer or something you have Ky- to get over the counter. No, not over the counter. It would be by prescription because it's a Schedule Two drug. It would be the same thing as like OxyContin. Uh, 
so like Ritalin, Adderall, things like that. Is that gotcha. is that you know? It's funny you should bring up Ritalin because I know you don't have Facebook, but you should just no, get an account to read the Adam Dunn show page and what people post about you. Oh, is it funny? Yes. And it, it, Ritalin has been suggested. Ritalin oh, a few times. No. I was yeah. on. I mean, I was yeah. on ADHD medicine my whole life. All right. Man. All right. Well, we get on it right now because we're still on the news. <laughs> get on it. So here's the deal. Like, on the one hand. Obviously, there's a lot of great stuff, but is this like trying to feed a dog a pill? Is it like wrapped in some yummy slices of meat for mm-hmm, the dog, mm-hmm. or or cyber turkey, as yeah. the case may be? Some cyber yummy slices of work. cyber turkey. What do you think, Bud? I think so. I mean, there's always that. That's the problem. Is it? It's almost better on these kind of situations. It's almost better when it doesn't pass right away because it gives everybody time to kind of reconsider stuff. And you know, we're we're not in any kind of desperate situation right now we were definitely everybody's coming together we wanted to get federally accepted of course but we don't want to i don't know just don't ever take the first deal it's always a bit so it seems to be the, that's basic bargaining right you know you don't want to just go in oh yeah let's do it great that's it done you know because there's they haven't thought it out there's no way i feel like the, you know, when i was reading it this morning i mean it's it's a bunch of good stuff and then that's what i'm saying it's that that schedule two thing kind of negates the whole well we're not going to interfere with states med- medical marijuana programs but it's schedule two so there those programs are still illegal i i don't yeah i mean the the wh- i main feel thing like, would be the main thing would be the, i guess the arrests the different amount of arrests and levels of and all that kind of stuff and they could change the because the that's penalties a, the, and things like that right. that's for sure but, but the other thing is like I feel like if there's just one thing in there, one word in there, really, it's the word two. If that word was five or six, mm-hmm. that would be great. That will be fine. If it was just like Tylenol or it was like Benadryl, right. that was great. So I feel like it's just about... But would it be great, though? Would that be great? Because yeah. isn't that the whole thing that we were trying to avoid with, with the whole Monsanto deal is that essentially they Well, anyone be. can make Tylenol or Benadryl. Right, I guess because it's just it's just acetaminophen yeah. and other yeah, things. Yeah, it's and over it's the counter. Like Kroger makes it, you know just what like I mean? Band aids. It's not all band aids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bandages made by Band Aid. I, I, I got you. I guess. And but, and and the other the other piece is like once you get to Schedule Six, that's not even that's like not even scheduled, dude. Like there's right, but now now okay. For example, so ibuprofen is Tylenol and it is Advil. They they both are ibuprofen. Now, do you think? That if somebody were to come out and try to make a strain, that is, could they then copyright a name or a specific strain? Sure, you can make brands, but I think more of the point. I think it's going to be like, like nutritional supplements, which aren't even right, regulated. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. It's that's like the way it should be. Anyone can yeah. buy it. Some stuff is eighteen plus, and that's how it should be. It shouldn't yeah. be any more regulated than Just fucking hops. Just walk into a GNC dude. and <laughs> be able to buy fucking whatever you it's, want. Yeah. Yeah. it's the same as hops. You can, you can't buy beer if you're underage, but you can buy hops. You can buy hemp supplements at GNC now, though. Well, there you I go. Say that. You can supplements, yes, you can. but already in a pill form. Yeah, it's in a capsule. Yeah, we're just talking. Richard about. Trickle in the chat room makes a good point. If you possess OxyContin without a Dick prescription, Trickle? felony. Yeah. If you possess weed, <laughs> right? it's not necessarily even a felony. Right. If you have one oxy without a prescription, it's a felony. Sure. If you have an eighth, I don't think there's anywhere. Where there's maybe a couple of places in the country where yeah, you wouldn't want to step up the uh, the the penalty because it, it kind of opens the door where they can kind of uh, go. Aha! Now look, you know, you accept one thing, you kind of accept it all. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, so we can get into the show here, let's give a big shout out to Way to Grow. Way to grow. What's the big deal night this month? I'm opening it, open up, it up, but I know I'm behind the Seven locations. Uh, what is your Colorado. favorite way to grow? I'm sure the way to 
Oh, you're supposed to You do shop at Way to Grow. You love fucking Way to Grow. Way to Grow. You sleep, breathe, eat, and dream. I love the Way to Grow. Okay, I know the Way to Grow, guys. I love the Way to Grow, guys, but... You might hit up their triple double sale. 369 fan double ended's 449 PL lights with the NXT ballast and then 469 Gavita Pro E series. Are those the fancy ones that are computer controlled, the Pro E's? Yeah, we got we got an expert in the house. 470 bucks. Go in there, way to grow. Tell them Adam Dunn show. Get it for even cheaper than this. And that's pretty much And take a handful of candy. That's usually the way you do it. Dude, the candy they have there is so good. It's not why is it so like, good? It's the same Because it's not candy. shitty candy. Cheap candy. No. Well, just, no, I've seen their candy dishes. Also, shout out Dark Horse Genetics. Uh, yes. Jason was supposed to link up with me this morning. That day I need to talk to him, too. So. Me, too. Yeah, we all do. We all need to see And, him. of course, we want to big up the Bruce Banner Bowl that they are presenting with Murphy's Law, MF Ruckus, Scene Vita, Oriental opening, Theater, opening April 18th. Opening of the cup, basically 18th, right? Exactly. First day. Kick off, dude. Kick, Kick off. it off with some energy. If you want to have the real banner, the strongest strain high times ever tested, might be a place to check probably it out. Probably for, the place you can try I, I had to tell Jason, I can't, I can't smoke that, man. It, it is seriously such a... <laughs> it gets me so racy. It makes my heart beat so fast. because of so all that strong. Ritalin. That Ritalin is just, ro- <laughs> just raging yeah. through your body still. So anyway. 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 But check yes, them out at darkhorsegenetics.com. He just dropped a whole new line. He's using, like... He did his uh, banner lines. That was uh-huh. with the banner mail. And now he's even flipping some different mails. So cool. a whole bunch of stuff coming out. Nice, and that um, and also uh, well, build a soil. Who will be here? Well, we'll be hanging. Of course, out. yeah, we'll, we'll have, we'll have plenty of plenty still of Jeremy in about thirty seconds. Yeah, or a still minute. Gotta, still got to hype him up. And Incredibles. Seconds. We just forgot yeah. about Incredibles. We do, but you got you didn't start your timer. I don't do timers. Timers are for. But of course, check out Build a Soil. I'm sure Jeremy's <laughs> going to put up a great deal that he's going to announce on the show. Um, and I bet he will probably post some good literature and materials, and we'll try to get that posted in the forum sure. here as well. And, of course, shout out Incredibles Edibles. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, kid. Take it away. I do the best edibles in Colorado, which, I mean, is probably some of the best edibles in America at that point, right? Because which would make it some of the best edibles in, in the, the world. Universe, and then ever. In the universe, ever. They have so many different bars, and now they're not even doing the just the chocolate bars. They have the gummies. Um, they have a line of Incredipils. Um, so they have so many gummy flavors. The chocolate bar flavors range anywhere from uh, 25 milligrams to 300 milligrams. Those are flavors? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. The 25 milligrams <laughs> No, the flavor? different flavors all range from 25. So they have like uh, okay. a mint one that's 150. They also have a mint one that's 300 um they have the fireberry bar the peanut butter buddha strawberry bliss blueberry crunch so many that i can't even name so um fantastic check them out also check out their uh, incredible extracts that are now going to be coming out they have gold label and black label locally grown and incredibly grown so check out incredibles that are really coming up right on so i'm uh, messaging with jeremy right here he should call in any second kid ready at the controls we are we are ready wait chris green thumb how we sounding buddy hopefully you can uh- Tell us. Yeah, my headphones sound side. great on the. Uh, so far, so good. Well, I think he has very stream, so. quiet speakers, so I don't. I don't yeah. know. I mean, that might just be. He might just be shit out of luck. Really. If you mumble like that, he is. That's yeah. for sure. No, I'd rather trying to do an like Adam that impression. That you can't do that. that. You can't mumble as good as me, dude. I'm the best. They t- but everyone <laughs> says you sound so good in the mic, and we established that's because well, you mumble. And, and mumble well, he like he has a much deeper vocal structure than a deeper vocal. I mean, especially than me, <laughs> but than you. And I mean, oh, you do. Yeah. Adam has a much deeper ever vocal ever structure. Talk down like this if you really want to, and you know, and talk yourself. But I mean, Whoa. not everybody can have that perfect Kid. radio voice. Like, like, what was his name? Uh, 
not uh, everybody. Dr. Green, was that his name that came in? Yeah. With, oh, my God. The One of the best voices I've heard. Uh, Mike Donovan, her. also an excellent Fantastic radio voice. Fantastic radio voice. Well, yeah, yeah. he's great radio. Oh, uh, and there we go. Speaking of radio voice. Jeremy Silva doesn't have a bad one. Yeah, well, we have to talk to him for hours. What's going on, Jeremy? Hey, it's Jeremy. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, not a lot. Just calling in, and I'm uh, killing the audio on my end, so I don't get some feedback here. Perfect. So uh, we got about 71 people in the chat room already, and they're packing. I had in. people. I had people calling me up last night. Dred's, excited. Dred's all excited. Dred's excited. Yeah. People love yeah. Jeremy, man. They love well, this hearing. Uh, right. I mean, they love hearing solid information from someone who actually knows what they're talking about and isn't just reading off of a manual or some training book that he learned from. So, and at the same time, um, it's not just someone who knows what they're talking about without ever having read any books. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. So I'm going to kind of let you get take it away, Jeremy, because you decided you want to do the theme soil building i think it's brilliant and uh you know you are the build a soil guy so you probably can do a lot better introduction of the subject than i can cool yeah i'd love to take it over can you guys hear me okay before i start blabbing we hear you well yeah you i'm gonna to check us? with the chat room kid you want to throw on your other headphones and do a little test make sure the stream can hear it okay uh, Good. As long as everybody can hear me, um, I can hear you guys pretty well. It's slightly muffled on the phone when you're talking at him, but oh, uh, uh, we were I, just I talking about that. We were we were just talking about that. How mumbly I am. Right. Sounds good on the chat room too. So we're pretty much good to go. All right, cool. Well, uh, first off, if you want to print out some notes or follow along with me, I did just a real basic guide on building soil, and it's the very most recent blog post at buildasoil.com. You can go there now, you can print the PDF out, or you can just follow along on the blog post, which is the same as the PDF file. And uh, chat room, it, I just want you to know, I'm going to go ahead and post that to the forum right now so you can download it without leaving yeah, the page. Yeah, and I was going to actually make a little more detailed one for you guys. This was just a blog post that I wrote a little while back, and I really want to take the time to go down and break down every amendment that's out there, the pros, the cons, the breakdown period, and if you go right now to Colorado State Extension Fertilizers, you'll get a whole list of all the organic fertilizers. But when I read through it, I notice that there's some misinformation there. Really? And so we'll have to kind of talk about a little of that, of that stuff today. But ultimately, on this report, it talks about how to think about building soil and gives you some guidelines. And that's really where I'd like everybody to be at because... If we want to make a soil and do it affordably, then it would make the most sense to use our local resources. And this is where I found most people get caught up. And it's because there's a lot of confusion about what makes a good compost. Or Jeremy, if I could just cut you off for one second. If the local resources are good. And we want to make people feel comfortable using those so they can save a lot of money. And this report will help you interchange <laughs> different ingredients and think about how to replace things that you may not have. So, Mitch, what did you need to say? Nothing. I just want to tell everyone who's going to look for the forum that it's directly under the chat box. Uh, I'm going to, about to upload this post right and, now. And you're referring to the chat box on AdamDunnShow.com. Yeah, if you're watching correct. us, so go on, go to AdamDunnShow.com. You'll be able to watch the chat on top. And then, Jeremy, if you want to post stuff, too, you can post right to it, and we can post to it. And it's just a Google thing, so you can post words and images and okay. attachments and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I'll check it out when I get a chance here nice. so I can post some stuff up on there. and. Uh, on that little report, basically the opening talks about how, you know, if you've been thinking about making a soil or been thinking about growing organically, one of the things that we don't think about is where our current soil comes from. And I know I never did. I just thought there's bagged soil. It comes from somewhere. Well, a lot of times it comes from the same packing facilities. 
it's a big industry, and there's only a few players in it because we're talking about raw goods with very low profit margin that have to be bought in major bulk to be a player, and that's what the agriculture industry is based on. And so when we start getting quality soils out there like Roots Organics and like Fox Farm and all these other things we see at all the shops, I started wondering, well, where do they make it? How do they make it? And when you ask those questions, you realize that there's actually no real regulation in the industry. To sell a soil, all you have to do is put it in a bag and sell it. If you want to make fertilizer promises, now you have to get a label, a label approved, but it's only like 50 bucks. So anybody can sell soil, and that's good and that's bad. And what I mean by that is we're just anybody, and I'm glad there's not a ton of regulation or I may not be able to offer our homemade products. But for the big companies, what I've noticed as a soil builder is if I get a really large order, I have to get on the phone and source a large amount of a quality ingredient. And when you're looking for lots of worm castings or lots of compost, sometimes as a business owner, you're presented with an opportunity to compromise on quality so you can say yes to an order. And we don't do that, but we know that when you're selling all the soil in the country through your bag soil company, they have to eventually start to look for other resources. And people told me that a lot of big companies start off doing great and eventually the quality de declines. And so Instead of you spending your hard-earned money on some local bag soil, which is great, they're still good products, but when you buy a lot, instead of worrying about inconsistency, you can make it from scratch on your own using pretty much the same ingredients they use, and then your entire grow, you know what's in it. And so there's no questioning, hey, was there enough of this? Was there enough of that? And that really brings you some peace of mind when you're growing. So um, any questions on that first part before I move into the recipes? Uh, I'm going to check the chat room. I think that was a really good intro. Okay. But let's just double check, see if anyone's Really, all questions. I want is people to question what's in their soil, because we already question what's in our food, and there's a lot of regulation there. There's almost no regulation in our soil, but we don't question what's in it. Right. And people are starting to ask, are these companies using biosolids? Are these companies using industrial city compost, as opposed to maybe a more like the Malibu Biodynamic? That's a beautiful compost. Are right. they using something really high quality like that? And so we don't always know, and of course, once you know how to make a soil, it's easier to buy one because you can read the ingredients, you can understand what's going on. It's just like learning how to read labels when you go to the grocery store to put food in your body. Now we're just going to safeguard what goes into our garden. And we'll get into the organic fertilizers, but there are a number of organic fertilizers that on appearances look affordable and probably sound like they'd be good for the garden, but might be just really tainted with GMOs, pesticides, all sorts of things based on the regulation for how organic fertilizer is produced. Got so, it. as we get into the recipes, did you see any questions there on kind of the intro at all? I'm still I'm still working on uh, getting it loaded up. No one has asked questions in the chat room. They okay. but the audience listening. Yeah, the audience is growing. Yeah, the audience is growing, and they have rapt attention. And I like okay. and I like the label. So uh, now we're basically getting into the fact that. We know that soil doesn't have a lot of regulation, and there hasn't been a lot of competition out there. And so now there is. There's organic mechanic, and there's build-a-soil, and there are Malibu's you know, blend of potting soil. There's other choices that are coming in the market. At the end of the day, we still think it's going to be best to make your own. And so that's when we get into the recipes and the ratios that a lot of these big companies follow. And so um, the basic mix that... You know, Mitch, you and I were taught uh, through some of the recycled uh, soil forms online were usually three parts for your base. Right. And 
we can interchange the base components, but just to bring everybody up to speed, normally you have one component that is like an organic matter, like sphagnum peat moss or cocoa core or a homemade leaf mulch, something like that. And then we have one component that is aeration, like pumice or perlite or rice holes or lava rock, something to add that air spacing in the soil. And usually those two ingredients are what composes a bale of promix. So now you've got your soilless recipe. The third component to a living soil, which makes it into a soil, is adding the compost or the worm castings. And so in the simple three-part mix, you would, to make 15 gallons of soil, just to give a number on it, you would take one five-gallon bucket of peat moss, dump it in your pile, one five-gallon bucket of your pumice or perlite or whatever you have, dump it in the pile, and one five-gallon bucket of some worm castings, preferably homemade or local, or compost, or a 50-50 blend of both, it really doesn't matter. And you'll dump that in your pile. And now you've got your base. And that base mixed up and moistened properly is what most companies' soil looks like when it's in the bag. The only challenge is, is normally those companies will not put one part compost or worm castings because that stuff is really expensive. And they will list it maybe even as the number one ingredient on their bag, but it could have a tablespoon. You don't know how much they're putting in. Of course, they don't want to lose customers, so the product will work. But when you're designing your own mix, it's nice to know how much goes in. So if you have one part of each, you now have a base soil, and we can start to add our fertilizer and mineral amendments. And we're actually going to tell you how much to put in where normally at the grow store you get there, and the bags of soil just say the ingredients, but they don't tell you the actual quantities that are put in. And that makes it a little harder to understand how long the nutrients are going to last. And have you have you ever gotten a bag uh, sent to a lab and analyzed or looked at under a scope for your own analysis just to uh, see I've, how I've had a lot of our own bags analyzed. I have not sent in bags of like uh, stuff from my hydro shop to get analyzed. Uh-huh. I've had cu- customers do that. I've looked at some of their results, and they look pretty standard. Sometimes they're a little high in P or K or whatever, or high in salts or something. But if you look across the board, there's a number of reports. And I'd like to think that in our industry, our particular soils we use are maybe a little more quality controlled because we care more. And so they would get more customer complaints. But across the board with all bagged soils sold, you know, miracle Grow, all the stuff that's out there, there's been a number of reports done by reputable companies that will go out there and buy 10 bags of each soil across the nation and find that none of them match up and none of them are near what they say on their labels. And so that's why... It's a scary game out there to just go buy soil, especially when you're going to do a thousand plants, you know, or a hundred plants or a huge garden and, and you're dependent upon that for your family. Yeah. You know? absolutely. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, it was kind of the same. I had built like with uh, builders, builder soil or whatever it was and not builder soil, but yep. builders. Builders mix. Yeah. yeah. Builders. Yeah. That, and I think it just came online and it was same. Well, I mean, it just came online, but was getting really popular and it was sort of the same exact situation where I got the bad batch, you know what I mean? And I was just like, what is going on? Everything's all yeah, weird, that's my you know? biggest fear. I got to yeah. tell you, I, I'm waiting for that phone call. It hasn't happened yet. You know, we've had people have watering issues or whatever. It's a new medium they're working with, but yeah, God, well, my biggest fear, and I think it keeps us really honest, is I'm in the public. Everybody knows who I am. I use my real name, and I yeah, never well, you're, want you're, someone to say we had a bad batch. It'll just make you so sad. You're a very customer oriented company, though, too. So that's yeah. that's good because it keeps you on your toes, and it also gives you a lot of feedback. But that's one thing in this yeah. industry too, because it's like a such a huge investment a lot of times for people and there's such a risk factor you know whether it be 
you know their problem or but when it's like equipment failure or yeah. it's their pro you know or it's or it's something inherent in your design or in the yep. in the soil it's then it's, it's can, it can crush you you know what i mean it's, well and why is it such a big issue it's not really just the money it's the time that we lose right oh for sure and it's and, and it well it's 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 for a lot of people it's the it's kind of like they put everything into it hoping you know rolling the dice and then if if you yeah. come up short it's like it is devastating because they might have their house on the line or who knows what they're finger yeah. and and, at, and you, yeah you ahead. know the saving grace in the normal industry is they they sell a bottle of nutrients <laughs> nutrients with the soil so the soil really doesn't have to perform it just has to hold your roots yeah and that's what they kind of don't want to make know, it too good so, otherwise otherwise they sell less nutrients so you got to have that balance you know between the Exactly, exactly. And that's why it makes sense. And I think that's what perpetuated a lot of the typical model that we've seen out there. But now there's people that are asking me, you know, I don't go seek out and say, hey, you stop using those nutrients buy my soil. I don't try and sell anything. I just try and be a service for people who are already to want wanting to do what I've been doing and what Mitch has done and what a lot of people that have read online uh, found out. They want to grow organically because they're already eating that way. They walk into the hydro shop and they say, hey, good news, we just got in these bottled organic nutrients. And even, you know, when a lot of us started growing, that didn't exist. The general organics, the roots organics, the nectar, the gods, all the new lines that are coming out, uh, some better than others, they weren't even around because there was no demand for organics 10 years ago. And it's, it's nice to see that changing. But the problem is, is that's still a very consumer-driven market. And as growers, we're producers. We are producers. We're not just consumers. And so why not produce your own soil and, you know, get a better profit margin or at least spend less on your own input? And now uh, using a couple different practices and talking to a lot of our customers, after I talk about the soil recipe a little more, we'll get into some of the practices that discourage the good yields. Uh, and a lot of times growers that switch from a nutrient-based medium over to a living soil, there's a couple of mistakes that they usually make their first time. And if we can eliminate those couple of mistakes, I think we can get the yields on par as as someone transitions. So, um, right on. And and also one one thing I just want to add into the mix, bud. No pun intended. Yep. Is uh, if you can make sp any special notes that might be applicable or or advantageous in a commercial setting versus a home setting, etc. That would be cool too. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And I will talk about that. And most of the stuff that we're going to talk about as far as commercial settings would be. Not cutting corners as far as quality, but being realistic about where the diminishing point of return is. Like, there's certain fertilizers or certain amendments that are cheaper. Like, we can get alfalfa and use that as opposed to maybe using more of a more expensive uh, blend. And so, anyways, I'll talk about the commercial stuff when we get done with the recipe and tell you, you know, areas where we can save money. But uh, ultimately, for the, for the end grower that is just using a small bedroom or a tent or something, oftentimes they just want the best quality no matter what. And I'll see people spend money on stuff that is maybe 10 times more expensive than it should be, but, you know, <laughs> since we're only talking 20, 30 bucks, it's not a big deal to them. But I still want to go over those issues and tell you where you can find stuff locally. So, for instance, we talked about the base soil mix, okay? In the base, we have three parts. Um, I, I will talk about cocoa if people want to ask questions about that. For right now, let's pretend there is no environmental impact to peat or cocoa, which there is with both. Neither are perfect. We can talk about that later. But let's just talk about recipes. If you're going to use peat, you can go to Home Depot or to any local retail garden store and get a 2.2 or a 3.8 cubic foot bale of peat moss. And those peat moss bales are you know, $12, $15, $20, depending on where you get them at. 
which is roughly, I don't know, way under half the cost of a, of a bale of like Sunshine or ProMix at the shop. And a 3.8 bale expands to 6.0 cubic feet when you fluff it out by hand. And so those are numbers that you should have written down. Because if you're going to make soil, you don't want to use the 3.8 cubic feet as your number. It's really 6 cubic feet. So now we've already saved a lot of money because we're getting raw peat moss. So 30% of our soil is only about 15 bucks. And this is about a 100-gallon batch if we're using one bale of peat moss. And then from there, you'll need to get compost or worm castings. And so I would encourage you to look around on Craigslist, find a local worm guy if possible. Another way would be to look around for a local compost yard, a landscape supply yard that might have access to compost. Um, you know, worst case, you can obviously contact us. We can help tell you if we know anybody in that area. Or you can just go online and get some compost from us. Uh, other brands that are good, Ollie Mountain Fish Compost in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Malibu Biodynamic Compost in the west, western side, like in California, and now they're expanding. And then over on the east coast, uh, there's another brand that's been really popular and worked well for people out of the bag, and that is um, Coast of Maine Lobster Compost. And so those that are all brands good. you might be able to find that locally. Real good. Um, again, if you've got questions, you can send us a message or ask around online. Now I noticed uh, so, a lot of those. A lot of those were fish compost uh, byproducts. Uh, some of them are. Two of those were. So one of them, Coast of Maine, is a lobster compost. The Ollie Mountain is a fish compost, yeah. and the Malibu Biodynamic is actually a cow manure-based compost. Uh huh. Because Biodynamics right. is really into the cows. Which, which one smells the least terrible? Oh, the kid. Probably <laughs> the cow. Smell, they all smell really. Normal. I was going to say they sound like they all smell horrible. Compost smells great, man. Yeah, I'll go, go for the lobster. So, I'll go lobster. Yeah, I'd say lobster is probably the lobster, least smelly. Lobster sounds so, cool. So, Jeremy, we do have a chat room <laughs> question for you. Yep. yep. Uh, Tyler Dodd asks, what are some questions you should ask the worm farmer to make sure the castings are great? And I think that's a great cool. question. Great question, Tyler. Yeah, it's a great question. And there's going to be a lot of local castings. And here's something to consider. Local's probably going to be better, almost regardless of what they're doing. Worms are magic. And so... Anything you feed the worms, the worms actually excrete bacteria on the material. And so you can get, if it's fresh, a lot of bacteria and fungi in a really rich blend, and almost no matter what the food stock is. But then from there, we always want the best, right? And so you get good in and good out. And when you feed the worms, something that was full of good nutrients to start with, usually that's how you get the best casting material. So some worm growers are only raising fishing worms, and so they just usually use like a a pile of raw horse manure, or they use a pile of cocoa core or a pile of peat moss. Or isn't there, isn't there worm food? Some, yeah, some weird byproduct of... Yeah, and they'll feed them like worm chow from Purina, and you can look up the ingredients. It's kind of crazy. But anyways, they feed them that stuff because they just want to bolt the worms out as fast as possible. And then it makes sense, but here's the thing. That, that manure wasn't thermophilically composted, so it could have seeds in it. It could be salty. And so the final composted product from the worms may not be as good. The other question to ask is, hey, are you feeding them stagnant peat moss or cocoa core? Meaning, what is your bedding? If they say compost, I love hearing that. Most of the best facilities out there will take waste because that's good for the environment. We want to recycle waste. And normally it's thermophilically composted, which just means it's been composted to a high temperature above 165 degrees to make sure the weed seeds and all the pathogens are gone. And then once it's cooled down, you feed that to the worms. And the supplier we use is called Worm Power. <laughs> They're out of the eastern side of the United States. And they feed thermophilically compost, thermal compost 
to Red Whittlers, and they have a very consistent production, and that's why we go there. Out of California, there's another company called Sonoma Valley Warm Castings, and they distribute to the wine country, and they've got a fantastic product, very similar to Warm Power, and they also use compost. And so all of the biggest companies that have the most resources usually are using a thermocompost, typically from the manure, and those are the best. Um, if you were going to make it at home the way I do it, is I actually make my own thermocompost from my chicken coop, from barley straw, from alfalfa, and then I'll toss in a little bit of like kelp meal, things like that. Once that compost gets hot and cools down, that's what I feed to my worms. Now, the other side of the equation is people that recycle waste. And so you might go to a worm farm that just throws tons of veggie scraps on top of peat moss, and that's how they feed their worms. The problem with that is all those veggie scraps will have seeds. And so when you use that, you're going to have tomatoes and peppers and all sorts of stuff popping up out of your soil. So ideally, you want to hear the worm farmer say they use compost to feed their worms. But it's not going to happen very often. So just ask. And if they're feeding something that scares you, like, you know, all the paper waste and newspaper with, you know, and trash and things like that, maybe stay away (laughs) from it. But most of them are using five-gallon buckets with peat moss and cocoa core and feeding a little bit of a grain. And those those castings are good, but they're not you know, typically the best. So. so that's a that's a great answer and a great question. Yeah, uh, it's kind of vague because there's no exact, but for sure. ultimately when you go to the store and you buy a bag of, of warm castings that look like coffee grounds, those were typically fed peat moss or cocoa core because it's so easy to break down into a perfect-looking product where – most of the real vermicompost out there is made from a, you know, a compost that has a little bit of chunky material in it, and so it'll be slightly different in size. Yeah, I think that that's what kind of one of, one of a good tip to give people is like what to look for when they're when they're just yep. looking at the compost. And at the end of the day, if you get the stuff from you know Big Worm or whatever from the store, it's typically coming from Unco, U N C O. You can do some research on their facility. Basically, what they do is they are an aggregator. They set up hundreds of people across the United States with their own home business raising worms, and then they get all of the product from those people and redistribute it. And so the problem is is each one of their people might do it slightly differently. You may not get the exact same product. And so that's why I really like using Worm Power. If you've got access to them, I try it out. Ultimately, if you've got the, the resources as far as space in your house, I would set up a worm bin Put compost in it, put worms in it, moisten it, and don't touch it. In a few weeks, you can start making your own compost teas and your castings. And in a few months, you'll have harvested just buckets full of premium castings on your own. So all it takes is a few months to get started. Do you have uh, links for uh, worm farms and basic compost stuff? I was just going to say, hey, where do you buy your worms? (laughs) (laughs) We actually, so we have a, a service that has growers all across the country that provide worms. To make it easy for us, logistically, we do drop ship the worms from a manufacturer. From like an airplane? <laughs> no, they don't, don't just drop ship them. out of an air. That's yeah. just yeah, fly over plane. just so a little we, parachute we drop ship, yeah, right? We'll get an order yeah. from us, Each and one has a parachute. Them up and send them out. And what we've done is we've marked them up about a dollar or two just to cover the 3% PayPal transaction fee. <laughs> a dollar and so we're just trying to you know give worms away, so to speak, at cost, so people have a, a way to start their own castings. And once you got them, they breed, right? If you look at the worm... In I-N-N. Uh, that is the per- one that I personally use. And mainly it's because it's a flow-through bin. It breathes through the side so you can't kill your worms as easily. And it's got a mesh net top that keeps the flies and stuff like that inside it. So it's great for a house. 
As so, so by um, house, so you're supposed to keep this warm bucket right on your nightstand, right, Jeremy? Like right next to your yeah, bed? Exactly. Okay, you know, basically, you want to sure. keep it warm, and the warm to do better there. So whether it's in your garage or whether you live in a warmer place or whether it's inside is fine. But at the end of the day, the most affordable way to start a warm bin is just go use an old dirt pot, smart pot, geopot, whatever you've got. Fill that with compost, put worms in it, and cover it with cardboard or straw, and you will have the best warm home ever. The awesome. only difference there is obviously it's really cheap to start that way, but it's a little harder to separate your worms because you've got to screen it all. Where in a flow-through bin, you can harvest from the bottom. Now, Jeremy, in, in you know, let's say like a 7-gallon a smart pot or even a 10-gallon smart pot, with that much, how much worms or how many worms would you recommend to be putting into? I mean, so, is there is there too many worms that you can put in or is it too little? Yes and no. I would say too many would be a waste of money up front because they're going to multiply on their own. Of course, too little, it's just going to take longer for them to multiply. And so ideally what I like to think of as cubic foot, so like seven gallons or so, I like to put a thousand worms in there or a pound of worms. Uh, and it's usually a thousand for the red wigglers. It's a couple hundred, few hundred for the uh, night crawlers. So weight is typically what's used and what i use for my in and what i would recommend for a smart pot is a blend of two worms it's a mix of red wigglers and european night crawlers and that way the red wigglers will work the top six inches of your geopod or your smart pot and then the red and then european night crawlers will work the bottom foot of your of your material that way you process all of it and it goes faster that way and I would say for a seven or ten gallon i would order you know a one pound blend of half and half of those worms and at most two pounds. It's like I'm going Any more to... than that, and you're just going to cause a population explosion so fast that you may want to have a bigger warm bed. So yeah, it's like I'm going to Cold Stone. Like you have like so many options that you can just you should just just choose two, where it's not going to yeah. taste good. Cold Stone no, of, no, of no, worms. Man. Yeah, I like, I like that. I, like that. Know, I, I get it. I get it. I was just reading, and I, I wanted to I wanted to mention this while uh, while you were on the phone, Jeremy. Mitch sent us all uh, an email this morning. That has a few little things on here, and there's just a couple things I just want to mention while you're here on the phone. We, he did some right. uh, some little uh, statistics here for our most popular topics, and at at 64 percent, so number two was organics and living soil. So 64 percent of our listeners is that what that means? 64 percent of our listeners Perf- were very. It was say very at least very interested. Yes, very in the interested in in the topics, and that also shows that. Uh, just around 88% of our listeners or 90% of our listeners are either influenced uh, their gardening habits or influenced their purchasing habits due to, due to the show. And we've, like I said, all we do is get positive reviews about, about Jeremy's products. So it's pretty solid. Cool, dude. That's me. awesome to hear. And, you know, I, it goes both ways. Um, so you guys know, I haven't given Mitch some feedback in a little while, but uh, since you guys have switched mediums and gone into Vimeo, and I noticed more people are watching your videos and listening to the show live, the audio is great. I've had at least a fo- at least one phone call a day saying, "Hey, I've never called you. I heard you from Adam Dunn show." Nice. And the reason I called you is I trust those guys, <laughs> and that's the reason I advertise with you in the sense that I feel like we're doing good together, and that's what that's the way I like to do business. I know for sure as a small business owner that. The power of where a dollar is spent can really make a difference in employees' lives, business owners' lives, and I'd love to see your show just continue to blow up because it's got a lot of honesty to it. So, right on, brother man. Well, uh, let's go back to listener questions. Uh, David okay. A. F- David A. Frey asks, "What about Bokashi compost for the worm bin?" It's perfect. Okay, great question. So, I don't put my food scraps in my worm bin just because it's possible to get stinky faster, get flies, and there'll be seeds left over. 
it totally works, but the way I do it is kind of hands-off. I just put compost in there. So the two ways that I build compost, I have a Vakashi bucket in my kitchen. I'll take my food scraps, and I put it in like a one-gallon uh, ceramic container I had on my kitchen counter. And that keeps the odor out. It allows me to collect like a gallon at a time. I dump that into my Bakashi bin, sprinkle the grain on there. And for those of you that don't know, Bakashi is a compost that you do in like a five-gallon bucket, and it happens a little faster, and it does it without oxygen. And you use effective, effective microorganisms to do it. And so I will take the Bakashi, and I usually put that in my thermocompost pile. And then that ends up in the worm bin. But if you want to put Bokashi compost straight into your worm bin, do small amounts at a time. Like don't dump a five-gallon bucket into a 10-gallon bin. The pH is too low. It's definitely got a little bit of funk to it. And so I would take a small amount and bury it in one corner of my bin and cover it. And if you have a 100-gallon smart pot, by all means, dump you know a few gallons in one side and cover it. And you'll see the worms will eventually come over there and just start wreaking havoc on it. They love the Bakashi once it gets broken down in, the, in your worm bin after a few days. Right. I like that. That's a good tip. Yeah. Watch, cool. watch them travel. You need like a clear uh, a clear thing so you can see them traveling. Travel. Yeah, that would be cool, like an ant farm <laughs> style. Ant farm, ant farm. Um, so I, I want to pull your article back up because I don't want to knock you off. we got about 15 minutes left on this segment, and then we're going to do a quick jump and cool. then come right back. Okay. So we were talking about the base mix. We talked about how to find some compost, what to ask about worm casting. So for all uh, purposes, let's say you found a local guy. He's got some killer compost and worm castings. A lot of people ask me, hey, do I use half compost and half castings? Do I use all castings? Well, I use whatever's the best. And so if the compost is a really good compost, I might just use that as the one-part compost for my mix. And then I'll just make compost teas with my worm castings. But personally, since I make compost and then the worms finish that compost and turn it into a better product, I usually make my soil with all worm castings if possible. Sometimes the budget doesn't allow. And so now you're pretty much done with your base. You've got your peat moss that you bought at Home Depot. You broke it up. you got six cubic feet of that now. And now you went and bought six cubic feet of compost or worm castings and you dumped it in the pile. And you've got six cubic feet of pumice or perlite or whatever, and that's in the pile, and you've mixed it all up. What I typically do now is we just request that uh, people either send us their recipe and we'll walk them through it, or the best way is to just grab our Clackamas Kids Nutrient Kit. It comes with four different minerals that will help balance the calcium and balance the trace minerals and the pH of the soil. You dump that in. And it also comes with a bag of our fertilizers that we prefer. And the three that we use are the neem karanja blend, the kelp meal, and the crustacean meal. And there's a very important reason for every one of those ingredients. But that's the most simple recipe that we use. That's the same recipe as our soil that we sell on the market. If you follow us on Instagram and watch our indoor grow, that's the same soil that we use in there. From there, we usually have people that like to do a top dress with one or two extra amendments or put their own flair or style onto it. And we encourage you to do that. But it's always rewarding to start with a proven recipe for the first time so you get a good understanding. And so um, what I want to get into a little bit on the next segment is other organic fertilizers that exist, which ones you'll find and which ones might be a little dirtier. Like you'll be able to find corn, uh, corn gluten meal and, um, you know, feather meal and uh, blood meal and bone meal and some of these other products that on the surface might look really organic, but when you start to dig in, it, it might not resonate with, with maybe a better choice. And so I want to just give you your choices. And once you have that info, it's totally up to you what you use. So. Right. 
Well, so in the 12 minutes we got left here, bud. Um, okay, perfect. So we got 12 minutes. I thought we only had a couple. No, no, we got 12 left. I mean, one thing I'm, I, I think is always interesting to put in people's minds because it just helps frame it is what the purpose of each of the three parts of the mix is. Right? Perfect. Like, Let's do it. So coot, Clackamas Coot is really the reason why we started this. And Clackamas isn't the type. Um, Lumper Dogs, Clackamas Coot, if you've seen him online, uh, he's basically a mentor that has been really uh, through the industry at a major level from owning warehouse, uh, nurseries and tree companies and everything else. So we, a lot of us trust him. He's got some advice that is based on a lot of facts. And so when we look at the ingredients, we don't just say, oh, yeah, Coot says to use it. There's a reason for each one. For instance, the kelp meal that we get, it's from Nova Scotia, and it's from deep, very clean waters from one of the oldest companies that has leases on those waters for actually harvesting the kelp. They do it sustainably, and they do it by hand, and they hand dry it, where some of the other kelp, kelp companies don't do any of that stuff. And so we use that kelp because kelp comes from the ocean where we have every trace mineral, all the periodic table is basically factored into it. And kelp is what they call a dynamic accumulator. And it has the ability to accumulate a lot of the nutrients from its environment. And so if you've got a million-dollar racehorse, you're going to be feeding them Acadian kelp meal. If you've got an animal feed that's an expensive organic product, you'll look and there'll be kelp meal written there. If you go to the health food store, you can buy little capsules of kelp meal that'll cost you 50 bucks for a little jar. Well, we sell the same product in 50-pound bags and it provides all the trace minerals, and more importantly, the hormones and the other benefits that add to the, you know, the health of the plant. And there's been books and studies and reports all done just on kelp and its benefits in the human diet and also in the soil. And so that is just a major ingredient I wouldn't want to grow without. So that's in there. It has all the NPK, all the micronutrients, and the number 14 grade that we get is about an eight-month release time. Eight months release okay. time, meaning it doesn't release till eight months? It's super slow release? It releases or over eight months. Over eight months. mostly used up. Wow. So a slow release throughout that entire eight-month period, you're going to be getting the benefit from the kelp meal. And it's potent in small amounts, so you don't need to put a ton of it in there, just a half cup per cubic foot. So what would you think about, <laughs> um, say, uh, amending your soil after your first crop? Would you would you add more? Or would like you, top dressing would, it? I would. Yeah, or recycling it? Yeah. Depending on your style, if you're going to dump it out and remix your soil back up, I would add more back in. Yeah. If you're going to no-till because you have larger containers, yeah. then I would mix with some worm castings and dump it back on top. So I'm Basically, we're harvesting plant and we're taking biomass away from the soil and it's never going back because we're going to smoke it and trim it and everything else. So we want to add some things back, like more kelp meal as we go down the line. Yeah, kelp seems to be but the best Once thing. you buy the bag, it's really cheap. And so to top dress your soil, it might cost you a few pennies, you know. And then the next ingredient is neem cake and karanja cake. <laughs> They're very, very similar. Both of those uh, materials, the neem and the karanja, those are both trees. And they're a very unique tree. And if you look back, one thing that Clackamas Coots does is he taps you into the history that's involved around a lot of these materials. And he has been in this industry long enough to know that there's always a new flash-in-the-pan ingredient you're going to have to have. Vitamin B1, amino acids, fulvix, whatever it is, each year there's something that's kind of popular. He looks back thousands of years and says, what stood the test of time? Alfalfa is the you know, father of all foods. It's been around forever. 
the neem tree has been as part of the old trade routes and it spread across the globe because of its medicinal benefits in uh, starting, I believe, in India. But in any case, the neem tree and the karanja tree, the reason why we use the cake or the meal, which is the seed chopped and ground up, in our soil recipe is it's also like the kelp and that it's a dynamic accumulator. It has all the nutrients we need from NPK through all the micronutrients all locked into it. And it's one of those rare trees that can grow in land that most stuff wouldn't grow in. So it's also sustainable and good for the environment. And it produces a lot of good business in India where we get it from. So all around, it's a feel-good product. Then you put it in your soil and it has all the nutrients. And then on top of that, it's been proven to uh, help diminish the effects of nematodes and soil-borne pests and pathogens. You can also take the neem and soak it in water and make a water aqueous like neem spray to get for pests. So all in all, each ingredient in the mix has way more than one job. Where, for instance, a lot of people might just buy blood meal for nitrogen. Well, neem has lots of nitrogen, but it has all the other things that come with it. And so it's more valuable for the dollar. And it'll last eight to ten months, where the blood meal might only last two to three months. My other question on the the neem you just mentioned on the nematodes. So if neem hurts nematodes... First of all, that's funny. And second of all, yeah, does it, it count for, does, would that harm beneficial nematodes or would they be more compatible with it? You know, one of the, that's a really good question. One of the reasons why Clackamas got me so excited about neem, I mean, I bought textbooks just on this neem tree because there's literally entire nations. Um, we're trying, you know, there's been people, uh, typically Western society was trying to capitalize and actually patent the neem as opposed to allowing the culture to use it freely. And the reason why is it has this tendency to only target the bad pathogens, the bad bugs, and the bad pests, and leave alone the good ones. So you can put this in your worm bin, and the worms will love it, but the gnats and the nematodes won't. And all across the board, we haven't seen it cause any problems to the beneficial fauna that's in the soil. So nice. Good stuff. Uh, also, um, Man from Hannah yeah. asks, what about insect frass? And I was thinking about frass the other day. What about insect frass? I, I feel love like frass. I read, it's we good. carry it. Okay. I get demand for it. And I'm actually going to talk about crustacean meal at the same time as frass because they're very similar products as okay. far as the benefits they provide. But the reason why you don't see us using frass in our soil recipe is that it's cost prohibitive. And there may be another bulk supplier or something, but the product that we carry that most people have seen is a brown bag with the green writing for sure. insect frass. Yep. And it's pretty expensive. And so I have people use it in their small grows and use it uh, conservatively as a top dress and add it to their mix because they're concerned with getting the best possible and they don't care, and they want to add diversity. So they'll add a little frass, a little castings, a little compost, a little buffalo. I mean, they'll add some of everything, and I think that's so cool. But when I'm talking to a commercial producer, I'm hesitant to tell them to buy, you know, thousands of dollars of frass when there may not be a huge return on that investment compared to some of the other sand ingredients. So I guess what I'm saying is it's a killer product, but if you're going to a large scale, it may be a little cost prohibitive. Yeah, I always, and, I always just use it in the smallest containers I could, just the same reason. Exactly. Like, same uh, reason, right? So and what is frass? It's basically yeah. bugs eating plant material, pooping out material, and now you have dead bugs, skeletons, and you have <laughs> bug poop. 
And that's what I was kid, kid, he's talking about poop and dead bug skeletons. You need to say, and frass. Yes, the word frass is funny. Okay. Do we need to turn your mic off? Just frass is funny. And then Adam's talking about it. I like to get the smallest container of frass. Smallest container of bugs. What are you saying? I like the word frass. I don't know why. Frass, yeah. All I heard is mumbling. Sorry. All right, I'm a mumbling. All right, kid. All right. So the frass is cool stuff, but at scale, okay? So frass has a couple things you'll see advertised. It is it has chitin, which is what bug skeletons are made of. And so because it has chitin in the frass, the logic to follow is that when it breaks down, it will produce an enzyme called chitin A's. Chitin A's will then go to work on any mold or fungus cell walls because those are made out of chitin. And the chitin A's will also break down the young eggs and young baby larvae and things that are also made out of chitin. So it has some nitrogen and some, some fertilizer properties to it, but it also has some bug properties, and that's why people use the frass. We use crustacean meal because it, there is already a lot of lobster and crab and all that stuff being harvested and sure. shrimp, and then they have a waste. Someone's got to feed at them. And when they grind oh, yes. it up, we get the same chitin in that because the shells of crustacean are made from chitin, same as the bugs. And... We also get a little bit more balanced profile of the NPK. You get some phosphorus, you get some nitrogen, and then in the crustacean meal, you also get a little more calcium. Now that chitinase is slow. Cal- calcium no, is imperative. We love the crustacean meal. That 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 chitinase is a slow release product, right? That that doesn't come till after you've recycled it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, it, it, it could be in there a little quicker. You know, I'm not going to pretend to say that I know how fast chitinase is made, but here's a way to make chitinase right now. Take any seed you have and sprout it. There's tons of chitinase in that seed sprouting. And so when you make a sprouted seed tea, which we've talked about before, usually we use the most affordable seeds, and you can get organic barley, organic corn, stuff like that, fairly cheap. And when you sprout those and blend the juices out into water, you're going to have active chitinase that you can foliar with or put in the, in the actual soil. And that skips the whole frass and the whole crustacean meal thing because those need to break down. This is chitinase liquid, and it's all the other uh, stuff is in there too. So awesome. SFTs are great. Excellent. The other thing that comes in the SFT is phosphatase, and phosphatase is the enzyme that breaks down phosphorus, which we're usually worried about getting for flowering. And so there's just a lot of reasons to use those sprouted seed SSTs are sprouted seed teas. for Sprouted folks. seed tea, yeah. So you sprout a seed. I mean, you can almost use any seed, but there was a lawsuit on bird seed for a while being tainted, and so I try not to use the cheapest seed. I try and use something organic if possible. But uh, in any case, that, the ingredients were kelp, the neem coronger mix, and the crustacean. You can see now why all three have all the nutrients needed. None of them are just nitrogen or just potassium. They're a balanced blend. And when we work in nature and we work in soil, instead of me as a soil builder saying, hey, we need this percentage of that and this percentage of that, and me guessing, which can work. There's a lot of research out there. But when we use kelp or alfalfa or neem or any of those, Nature's already put the exact ratios needed right there for us, and we just put it in the soil. And it definitely works very well. Um, if you're growing in a smaller container, you can take those same three ingredients, mix uh, you know, maybe a tablespoon of each with a little bit of worm castings, and you can top dress that, pack it into your plant, and it won't burn anything, and your plant will just take off with growth. And you'll notice a reaction within three or four days. So organic doesn't always have to be really lagged behind. It's just not as fast as the instant gratification of a bottle. So there needs to be more forethought. And unfortunately, if you've never grown before, it's kind of hard to determine what to do. And that's well, why we're here helping out. So 
Uh, we got about 30 seconds left, but in the next segment, one question I definitely want to bring up uh, kind of on that note is foliar feeding, foliar feeding in organics and how you can kind of supplement that way and get some quick uh, nutrition into the plant. Cool. Let's talk about that when we get back, and we'll also talk about some of the ingredients you want to avoid and wrapping up the soil mix and how long to cook it for, all that good stuff, okay? Sounds good. So we're on the line with Jeremy from buildasoil.com. Everything he's talking about is in the forum. If you go to adamdunshow.com, you can still watch and listen to the show from there. Scroll down underneath that is the forum. Click it. You get all the notes to what Jeremy's talking about. You can also check all the ingredients out at buildasoil.com. All right, let's talk about some people, guys. Let's talk about our friends. Talk about our friends. Friends, our buddy is Incredibles. Incredibles Edibles, Colorado's number one edibles. The kid looks like he just ate the some The kid just edibles. ate about five edibles, it looks like. What's your favorite edible, quick? My quick. favorite Incredible Edible yeah, is cool. yeah, the, uh, the Afghani bar. Bomb. I haven't had it yet. Is it good? Bomb. So good. I mean, you have to. We have to. You have to really like coffee. I love coffee. It's overwhelmingly coffee, but it's bomb. I drink coffee. Yeah. I can deal with that. Coffee in the weed. The caramel on the bottom is actually really good. So, like, it's like. It tastes like Starbucks, kid? I mean, I don't really do Starbucks, but yeah, it's good, I guess. It's like Taco Bell? No, he's not. Of course, shout out to buildasoil.com. Jeremy with us on the line today. Uh, I think answering a lot of big questions that people have that may uh, be their hesitations to go Yeah, like, 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 what is France? <laughs> Kid, what the fuck? What's up with what? your fresh? You can't handle it. Cut it with your fresh, right? <laughs> you cut, cut it with your fresh. That's not the appropriate usage of the word fresh, though. It doesn't matter. It works. Uh, of course, always way to grow for bringing the conversation to you. Uh, Colorado's number one. Grocery store supplier. You gonna go pick up some lights there, bud? Uh, maybe, maybe a lightsaber. A, a lightsaber. I guess that was you heard too. <laughs> I'm getting I heard lightsaber. I'm lights getting lightsaber. Yeah, I'm I'm they have one. I'm getting one. <laughs> the Gavita, the E series. Gavita makes lightsabers. Yeah, no, I was gonna I'm, say they just came out. Sweet. They did. <laughs> did they? No. Soon enough. Let me just tell you. Soon enough. There will be lightsabers before I die. I can almost guarantee that. <laughs> Um, but no, they're having their big triple sale. I don't know if I have enough money right now in my pocket to go buy the lights. To buy lights, no. <laughs> it's a big investment. When you have to switch up, that's a big investment. It's one of those deals. But it's time to do it. It is time to do it. I just don't have the ceiling space right now. That's probably yeah. I need ceilings. I need higher. Ceilings. I know a guy. I know a guy who just bought a, bought a bunch of gavitas and put them in his basement. <laughs> that's what you told he. Just yeah, told me yeah he told you about that. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, it's rough. <laughs> you know, they're going to get hot, right? That's what I think. But if you got a warehouse and you're doing it big time. I think they're meant to be put in such a small space. Yeah. No, exactly. and he just replaced his lights exactly where they were. It's not so smart. No. Anyway. No, anyway. Not so smart. Back with Jeremy. You still there, buddy? Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Cool. Bring the ruckus. Let's go. Sorry I had you on speaker and mute at the same time. So I thought you could hear me. Speaker. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 don't worry, kid. Okay. All right, no, we're good to go, bud. Jeremy? Do we st- yeah, I can hear you guys. Perfect. Cool. We'll take it away, man. Uh, all right, so I'm just trying to stay organized and make sure that people are listening. I'm not jumping all over the place. And to recap, we've covered the base mix. So, so far, if you're making your own recipe, you now have a recipe for the base, and that's adding in your peat moss, your compost and castings, and your aeration amendments. And... Just to be clear, it doesn't have to be one part of each. If you've got 40% peat moss or, you know, 20% compost, all of those ratios will work. But the important thing is when the soil is made, dig your hands into it. Does it feel good? Does it feel like a nice potting soil? Okay. 
And then the next part would be the nutrients. And we talked about the nutrient, which would be kelp, crustacean, neem, and karanja. To that, we add our mineral mix. And the mineral mix is really important to producing a quality product that's going to be more pest resistant and also going to have more flavor. And it's going to finish out balancing the soil. And so typically when you buy a bag potting soil, you'll notice they add dolomite lime. And that's typically because they're using peat moss and they want to raise the pH. Peat moss comes in around 3 to 4 pH. And the dolomite lime will get it in that 6 to 7 range that you can plant the plant into. The challenge with using dolomite is that it works great for that purpose, but after a year or two, it starts to break down in the soil and releases a lot more magnesium than calcium and will actually cause the soil to start to tighten up. It won't hold water as well or it won't receive water as well. And it can actually start to ferment inside and cause root issues. That definitely and, happened to me. Yeah, yep, yeah. And it's happened to me. I mean, a lot of us have maybe taken an old thing of Fox Farm or whatever and made that like a house plant container. And some after a while, it's like hard on top. And you can't hard even on? You said hard on. Oh, it's not in the room. He said hard on top. <laughs> Never mind. Had to keep. Had to keep. Uh, keep had to keep light. the kid in. Had to keep the kid yeah, in. Kid in mind. Sorry. Yep. Well, let's so keep the, it serious. Uh, morons and hard-ons. you got to watch out for those words. <laughs> I couldn't hear you guys. Did you just say something? No worries, bud. We're good. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so the mineral mix that Coot suggested was a four-part mineral mix. Uh, it, or, and, and in a sense, it was four cups of total materials per cubic foot. And that's the balance we've stuck with because it works really well. And when I look at other gardening books, it's a little bit on the high side, and I like that because... Our soil is a lot higher in organic matter and a lot higher in what they call cation exchange capacity. All that means is that when you make your own soil from compost and minerals, or whether it's at Build-A-Soil or at home, your soil is going to be richer in organic matter and it's going to be richer in the ability to hold nutrients than most other soils on the market, especially backyard soils that most soil books talk about. So the minerals that we use, Coot started off recommending glacial rock dust, oyster flour, the salt, you know, some of these materials that we, uh, that we have available. And so we customized it a little bit, and we've talked to Coot a lot about it, but essentially half of our mineral mix, or two cups, is one cup of basalt and one cup of glacial rock dust. And so half of our mineral mix is for the trace minerals. And so glacial rock dust, basically what that is, is in the ice age there was glaciers dragging rocks around, and then they melted and left a mixture of rock dust uh, around. Down the street from my house, there's a gravel company, and they actually mine glacial rock tailing, and they turn that into a gravel. So sources like that, usually the ones we use are from Canada, Gaia Green. It's just ground up rock, and that rock is the source of fertilizer. Um, and when you look at the most fertile areas in the country, it's usually near a volcano where all the minerals were erupted and renewed all the land around it. So when we add glacial rock dust or basalt, which is a volcanic material, we're adding the essential elements of the entire earth into that soil and giving it all of the ability it needs to create the cell, to create the flowers, to create the flavors and all the stuff we want. And usually when you grow with minerals, your plants have the right pieces or tools they need to defend pests and to be very healthy. If they're missing some minerals, they might still look good, but they may not be as healthy, just like 
you know, a person who looks decent but may, may be eating fast food every day. Eventually, it's going to catch up. Ooh, I got one in the room. Good call. And, and here's how I want you to think about it. If you've got glacial rock dust at the local place down the street, use all of that. That's fine. It's going to be affordable. So I can if eat you've the, got the salt, the use all of that. You don't have to use one part of each like we do. We just happen to have both materials on the ground here at once, so we add a blend. But either basalt or glacial rock dust or azomite or any of those materials will be fine for your rock dust source. And I usually like one or two cups of that per cubic foot. Some people put up to four cups just of rock dust. So I guess all I want to impart here is that rock dust will not burn anything and it won't cause problems. The only issue with adding too much would be you might have a really heavy soil. So two to four cups of that will be perfect for a homemade soil mix. Nice. And then the, the other two materials that we add to our mineral mix blend, if you read online, type in mineral mix at build a soil you can see our recipe. We don't keep any secrets. It's oyster flour, and we also add uh, gypsum. And there's an important reason why we add both. Now, the oyster flour is the replacement for the dolomite lime. This is the one that will raise the pH of your peat moss. So if you're using cocoa core, you might want to eliminate the oyster and just use the gypsum, okay? Um, but for this normal soil mixture, we're using peat moss and one cup of oyster flour per cubic foot combined with one cup of gypsum per cubic foot. And in our test results, that's putting the pH right in that 6 to 7 range and balancing the calcium just right where it needs to be. And so oyster flour is mainly calcium. And that's why you'll notice you can get oyster shell to feed your chickens. They need the calcium to make the good eggs and make the shell hard. And so that product is mined out of the San Francisco Bay. Everybody gets it in the same spot, and it's very affordable. So that's a great material to use for mixing in and raising the pH, and that's a one to replace the dolomite line. Now, the gypsum, if you can't find gypsum locally, you might want to look for something called calcium sulfate. That's what gypsum is, and some companies just call it by a scientific name. And in fact, when I first started and Coop told me to look for rock dust locally, I went to a Murdoch's, which is a local horse feed, like tack supply store here in town. And they had a pallet full of 50 pound bags of calcium sulfate they could not sell for $10 a bag or something. Wow. So I was so excited. I was going to spend hundreds to ship in rock dust. And here I had gypsum practically free. Nice. And uh, we still use some <clears> of that <throat> same product here today. It works really well. But gypsum is calcium and gypsum has sulfur. And sulfur is one of those products that help create those terpenes and terpenoids and help be a building block for a lot of the organic molecules that need to get created. But more importantly, sulfur will flush out any excess out of your soil. And so if you put in too much oyster flour, it might raise the pH. That's why the second half of our mix is gypsum. It keeps a cap on the pH and won't allow it to get too high. And so if you can kind of internalize that, we're putting a cup of each material, a cup of basalt, a cup of glacial, a cup of oyster, and a cup of the um, gypsum per cubic foot, that's a rock dust mix. And across all of our soil tests and customers using it, it's worked really well. Um, but like I said, you can still tweak it to work locally. So if you have azomite, you can use that. You know, if you've got questions, you can email us. Any li listener questions on that stuff, Mitch? Uh, any issues with sulfur with volcanic rock, someone says. I don't uh, know. Sulfur's awesome. Um, okay. If you were to look at the nutrients that are out there in some of the books. And the books that are existing, I mean, nobody really understands nature completely. I don't pretend to. I'm just hoping to get up to speed with where the other soil makers and other soil enthusiasts are at. 
and there's a couple different schools of thought on nutrients. And you can look at what is the base cation ratios of the soil, or you can look at more what's called the slan method. And we can get way off the deep end and getting advanced, but ultimately the soil can only hold a certain amount of nutrients. And so when we're talking about all this stuff, it's important to kind of consider the standpoint that we're looking in. You know, but what was your question? Circle back to it. Uh, the question was if there was any issue with uh, sulfur with volcanic yeah, and, rock. And so the, the sulfur that we look back in those books, uh, they'll recommend a certain percentage. And if you happen to have excess cations in your soil, like too much magnesium, too much potassium, they usually want you to double your sulfur in your soil to help until that goes away. And if we look at a soil that's in someone's yard and it has a ton of sulfur in it, usually that means there's not enough drainage. Well, that's not the case when we're making our own soil. I've found personally through reading, you know, hundreds of soil tests and seeing what works and what doesn't, that high, high amounts of sulfur keeps the nutrient in flow in the soil and available to the plant and also really increases the final taste, uh, you know, smell to taste translation. And Interesting. So high sulfur is not a concern at all. In any of the books that I read, there's not like a negative impact to the high sulfur. It's more what high sulfur would mean if you're reading soil tests in someone's backyard, and usually that's low drainage, but not in the soil that we're making. So right. volcanic rock, sulfur, all good stuff. Nice. Nice. That's really good, man. Um, yep. So we got about 35 minutes. You, you have an agenda. Get on it. Perfect. All right, cool. So we talked about the mineral mix. We talked about the nutrients. Now there's all the other nutrients that you're going to see locally that you're going to hear about, and there's a few different reasons that we uh, made our own recipe. Uh, we could go down to any gardening store, and you can buy a box of all-purpose organic fertilizer. The problem is, is when you look at it, you realize that they're, of course, a for-profit company. Anybody in business is. But when you look at the box, there's usually 10 or 15 different ingredients. And almost always, one of the big constituents of those blends is something I don't like, like soy or cotton or something with uh, feather meal. And the reason is, is when you go look to make a fertilizer you have to calculate the cost per pound of each one of your amendments. And so if you're going to sell a box of fertilizer at the store at 10 pounds, well, shoot, you'll fill you know, 60 70% with the stuff that only costs you pennies per pound. And then for the advertising, you'll put a little bit of kelp meal, you know, maybe a little bit of guano or something that has some respect in the industry that might sell. And that being said, I was frustrated because all these fertilizer blends were just kind of generic, had dirty ingredients in them, and I wanted something that was exactly what I wanted. And so when you make your own fertilizers, you go out there and you can go to the store and you might say, why won't I use feather meal or why won't I use soy meal? Why won't I use blood meal? And I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, there's, you have to do it this way. It's just if you know how they're made and you know how they work, now you're in power and you can make the decision. So blood meal is, let's say you buy organic blood meal. It does not mean that you got it from organic cattle. It just means that blood by nature is organic. And so you can have the most chemically laden, you know, hormone-injected cattle ever, slaughter them, take all that blood full of that, and call that an organic blood meal. And because I don't know the industry well enough, um, you know, I'm not terribly excited about funding these big slaughterhouses that you hear bad things about. Uh, if there's a product out there, like down the street, a biodynamic farm that happened to have blood meal as a waste product, I'd probably be all over it. If I had my own cattle or my own chickens that I had to slaughter and I had extra blood, you know, I might get into that, but that's a little crazy. So that's why I don't personally use blood. The other reason is it doesn't add more than one benefit. It just brings nitrogen. It's just really fast release. And if you make a miscalculation, it's liable to get you some eagle claw over nitrogen throughout flour, and that really ruins the taste. 
And so it's just possible that you can make a mistake with it. Uh, next, that's really popular, I mentioned the uh, cotton meal. Stuff's high in nitrogen. You know, there's a lot of benefits for it. But when you look at how cotton is farmed, you realize that almost all cotton is GMO, and it's Roundup ready. That way they can spray Roundup on it all day nonstop. And so there's even people that won't wear a T-shirt until it's been washed because that cotton usually makes them itch with all the pesticides. Same thing when you get your, your cotton meal. If you think that's what you want to put in your recipe, let's add something else like neem cake. But if you use the cotton, it would possibly be GMO or most likely, and it would also be laden with pesticides that were used to keep the bugs off. The reason why cotton is so heavily sprayed is nobody eats cotton, so there's less regulation there. It's just a product that we use to make materials with. Um, and that's what happens when you move into soy. Soy is now a food product, and so there are some materials out there typically grown in other countries where they have no GMO laws, and you can get some non-GMO soy. The problem is, is that even when I talk to the labs that do the GMO testing, non-GMO simply means that it's probably less than 5% GMO. And so if you're okay with that, it's fine. Most of the stuff is not going to have an effect on your crop. It's not going to be, you know, turning some, you know, alien buds or anything. But if you want to choose who you give your dollars to and who you are supporting, then you may want to not use the soy and move towards something that might be a little more balanced uh, and also be good for the environment, like the kelp or like some of the other materials you can get. And so each one, when you do your research, you'll start to find some truths that come out. When you look at feather meal, you'll find numerous reports that say that uh, a lot of these chicken farmers are illegally using substances in their chickens to produce heavier chicken breasts and more eggs, even though the losses are not supposed to. Yeah. And this material ends up with feet, beaks, uh, feathers, all that stuff chopped up after the slaughter, and that's what ends up in your feather meal. And it's a high nitrogen material. It works very well, but it is possible that it's tainted because they don't go to a you know free-range organic chicken farm to get the feathers. They go to the biggest chicken producer out there that probably has the worst practices, and they get all of that material from them. They turn that into a now organic feather meal, even though the chickens were never raised organically. And so it's just about who you're going to support and about what you want in your soil. So, um, guano, Mitch, you and I've talked about guano in the past, right? Yes, sir. This is always a big topic. And personally, guano, it does work pretty well. Problem is, is it's very cost ineffective. It is a huge markup for what it actually does. There's other materials that can replace it very easily. And if you read into it, there's also numerous reports that show that harvesting the guano is horrible for the bat environment. And harvesting the, um, seabird guano is horrible because they make nests with it and there's other reasons to leave it there. And so I guess at the end of the day, when we're mining material to make a soil, there's going to be some impact. But if we have the education, we can personally choose how much and how far that impact goes. You know, ultimately, I'd want you to make your own compost and make your own soil on site. Yeah. But I personally don't want to go tell thousands of people to go dig up the forest around sure their house the and start taking soil. You know, so there's got to be a balance in between there that works. And that's where making your own soil can get exciting. I know people that will go... Uh, you know, on a nature hike, and they'll pull some uh, fresh dirt in the river by their house and maybe just take a couple handfuls to inoculate some of their own rock dust. Right. You know, and so if you have the ability to wild forage, please do it responsibly. But how cool is that, making your own soil with locally foraged products? You can go find your own nettle and your own, you know, plants. Just nettle is kind of like uh, alfalfa and kelp. It has a lot of nutrients in it. It'll burn your hands, but if you bring gloves, you can chop nettle. It's just a weed. It'll grow back. You can bring it home, dry it out, and now you have nettle meal, and you can feed that to your plant, and it was free. And so you don't always have to spend money to get the job done. 
but sometimes you'll have to spend time. Right. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, hard it's to find a trade-off. But even when you got to spend money, when you're doing it from the components rather than just buying a bagged-up mix that you don't even know the ratios and sure. your composition of, exactly. it's pennies on the dollar, I feel like. What about green sand? Yeah. How about green sand? So green sand, I actually just bought a little, and I'm gonna, I am haven't put it on the website or sold it, but I have somebody that I know and respect that has a soil mix, and it's in his. And he says that because he's going long-term no-till, he wants some of those available, like silica and potassium and stuff like that, to be available down the road in years to come. I don't necessarily think that long-term. I think that the basalt going to have all the trace minerals. Just so everyone knows, every soil test I've ever done that had compost in it is off the chart on potassium. There's just no reason to add a K booster of any sort in an organic soil that has compost. P is usually the issue, and it's not as mobile. And so the phosphatase from the sprouted PTs, as well as utilizing possibly mycorrhizae, things like that will help unlock some of that phosphorus. But... I mentioned in the past a couple of common mistakes people make when switching. So you've got this whole recipe, you're listening to the show, you get offline or maybe you print out the PDF file and you're now buying the materials. You get a nutrient kit from us that has all the minerals, but you don't have to ship stuff from every part of the country. We put it together in a bag. And let's say you went and bought your peat moss and your castings and you mix it all up and you're so excited. Well, a lot of people will say you need to let that pile sit for a month or two. Well, here's the benefit of using kelp, crustacean, and neem. None of those are fast release, and none of them are, you know, just nitrogen releasers. So it's not going to burn your plant. It's not going to get super hot. Literally, I was talking to Coot. He mixes his soil and plants into it that second. While he's mixing it, he puts the plant right into it. Now, to be fair, he's making his own homemade vermicompost, and he's got some really quality things going on there. So I always recommend, you know, at least let it sit for a few days to a week if you can. And if you start putting in bloods and guanos and stuff, then you're going to want to let it sit three weeks to a month. And the idea is is that if you make a pile that's big enough, 100 or 200 gallons, and you pile it all in one pile and maybe cover it with a tarp and get it moist, it'll get 165, 170 degrees in the center of that pile, and you can turn it. And every two or three days, you'll turn that pile, and then it'll cool down. Now, here's where most people fail. They have a beautiful soil. It's rested. It's the proper moisture. They're ready to go. They go get their old five-gallon container, and they put a plant into it. And that's great if you grow a foot-tall plant. But with soil, the one limiting factor that I think is a reduction in quality or reduction in yield is trying to get away with a very small amount of soil. We're not going to be feeding any extra bottled nutrients, and so you need to plan ahead for that. And I like to see 10, 15, 20, 30, you know, the most amount of soil you can fit. Personally, I use 15 to 30 gallon, and that fills up a 2 foot by 2 foot square area on my scrub screen. And normally that plant is only two or three feet tall. And so visually, the massive soil that's in the container, I usually don't want to see a plant that's more than twice that volume above it. And that is where all the magic happens. You get the best flavors, the best odors, the best colors. Everything comes out healthy. When you put a four-foot, five-foot tall plant in a five-gallon container and hope to make it through with just some teas, usually you get the really early fade you get lack of yield and the flavors aren't as strong. And typically, most people learn their lesson, they double up the potting size, and their next run is great. But I want to avoid the first-time trier that says, I'll just use these two- or three-gallon containers. And the reason I've seen that really popular is the Rev, uh, the True Living Organics, he was really critical in bringing in the organic system with spikes and layers in the two- or three-gallon containers. And personally, I think that's the hardest way to go. I think if you get 15, 20, 30-gallon containers, enough where you can move it on your own, 
you just have the easiest grow ever because now you can actually miss a day and it won't kill your plant if you forget to water for a day or two. And so uh, volume of soil is just imperative. I think that that's the one key to success. I mean, I've always related it to like a fish aquarium. If you go get 100 fish and put it in a little tiny aquarium, you better be on top of pH and nutrients and everything with all the latest equipment. But if you get one fish and put it in the same, you know, 100-gallon fish tank, it'll be a piece of cake. You can have your fish guy maybe come once a month and check the water. It'll be fine. And also, uh, I think when you grow with, uh, like, wider and shorter containers, you sort of notice that the plants respond by being wider and shorter. Wider and shorter. Which is kind of what you want. So. So I think and a lot so of the typical was a five-gallon bucket, and that's tall and narrow, and yeah. you see Christmas trees growing out of those. Now, exactly. I use these squatter lower pots like the Smart Pot or Geopod, and I typically get a wider, fatter plant. It really does. The plant has intelligence. It's not going to extend a branch so far past its root system that it will break itself. Yeah. And so if you have wider roots, it's telling the plant, hey, I can branch out this far because that's where my support foundational system is. It's like a whisker. <laughs> like yep, exactly. Like a whisker. Exactly. Like it feels whiskers. that far. And, and they've noticed when you plant a plant, a transplant into a container, within the first week, it sends roots not around in there, immediately to the far corners of the container. That way the plant can now tell itself, okay, this is what I've got to work with. And in organics, we can't trick it by just dumping nutrients in. So, so if we get it too small of a container, your plant is going to say, hey, this is all I got to work with. Don't so, get too big. So what about beds in that, in that sense? And you think beds are yep. superior? or Veg not necessarily matter as much, but I will tell you that when I'm no, I said, perpetual. Uh, no. Oh, he, he said, he said mean, beds. Growing like beds. Soil beds. Oh, soil beds. beds. Yeah, beds are amazing. Uh, that's all logistics. If you Basically, I'd say the best amount of soil is the most you can possibly have. So if you can foot... If you can fit, you know, two 400-gallon beds of soil in your growth space, dude, you're living large. You can fit tons of plants in there. You'll have a very easy way to go in the sense of watering and all of that stuff. Of course, there's things to learn. Like most people, when they start a bed, I'll have them buy a little cheap uh, moisture probe and stick the probe in in different spots of the bed and make sure that it's evenly hydrated to begin with. And that usually eliminates some issues. But typically, the problem we have with using a bed is it's not mobile. And so now the grower has to have more resources and typically have an entire room dedicated to a whole cycle. And they typically need higher plant numbers so they can drop in plants into that bed and flower immediately. But if you've got a bed and you can veg and flower in the same spot, I mean, that's killer. You can or have put a it really on casters. Nice bed system. Put it on casters and have wide doors. Yep, and you can do casters and beds and people do it. And, I mean, here's the difference. If you've seen a tomato plant grow out of a bucket compared to one out of a grandma's, you know, raised planter bed, there's just night and day. The tomatoes are twice the size. The plant's ten times the size. And those are the same results we get when we use soil those, indoors. And the smart pot, uh, they have those sort of like large. They uh, smart up. pots makes the hanging thing that's yeah. on the PVC frame, right? Right. So you can kind of yep. Mini, yep. And mini then beds. we've also got the geoplanters, which make a four by four bed, which holds about sixteen cubic feet of material, and they make a four by eight, which holds you know double that amount, and they work really well. Um, they breathe through the sides, so they still air prune. And what's nice about a bed that breathes is you're not so worried about the overwatering. And I use them for my vegetable garden. I would definitely like to put them indoors. Um, one of the things that I'm trying right now with these soil recipes is a lot of the talk in the Probiotic Farmer Alliance, uh, shout out to PFA, by the way, they are using these sub-irrigated planters or SIP systems. Another name would be Earthbox. And they water from the bottom, and they use a slightly different container. I'm actually testing a few of them out right now. And, uh, you know, I'll update the listeners in the blog or maybe on another episode. But that's another way to get bigger plants out of a smaller space and use your water a little more efficiently. 
So once you get into organics, believe me, there's going to be a path and there's going to be options to take. There's no one way to do this. But there is one way to at least start thinking about soil, getting a proven recipe, a proven base, a couple of good fertilizers and minerals, and you're going to be off and running. And most people will experiment. They'll say, okay, I use this for a cycle. Now this time I'm going to add some fish meal and I'll add some alfalfa and some of the other ingredients maybe they didn't start with. And that's how you build diversity in your soil and that's how you get you know, a, a soil that really has all the nutrients needed. And so the difference here is now the soil is feeding the plant and it's a buffet. The plant can choose anything it wants whenever it needs it. And uh, we're no longer guessing exactly how to feed it. And so um, if that's your style and you want to go organics, I would print that PDF file out. I would start researching, you know, local compost sources, maybe setting up a worm bin. And my experience was that when I transitioned, all of a sudden it was the first time where I had all of the plants in the room. They didn't all have burnt tips and they weren't having issues and problems. And the first time where I started to harvest entire grows that were just phenomenally healthy. And so for me, it was kind of a shortcut to being a better grower. You know, a lot of the guys had to put years in and really trial and error learning how to use these bottles correctly. And some people just aren't as good at that stuff. And they'd like to leverage the soil and trust nature. And uh, these recipes are proven. So if you've got questions from any of the listeners, I'd be more than happy to get into some of the other amendments or maybe Um, talk about some of the tweaks that we can make using cocoa. I definitely want to talk cocoa. We can talk more on amendments. I want to talk foliar feeding, wherever you want to go, bud. Foliar, yeah, okay. So one of the things that um, I I wanted to give a shout-out to you, Mitch, and also to me, uh, there's a, a new magazine. Um, that was created oh, in yeah. the CFA. Yeah, big shout-out to both of us. I was going to do that on the end, but, yes, yeah, shout-out to you, Jeremy. I, I, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet because here's the thing. It's the first time I've seen a cannabis magazine, and I did my little skim, which I expected to be, all right, it's going to be ads and pictures of weed, and there's going to be like 10 words. No, it was but I was like, no, this is like a journal. Like, you really need to it's, see yeah. it and read this. It's actually something I wanted to sit down and read. So I ordered a hard copy. And it's coming out. And, hey, Mitch, if you could tell them what the name of the magazine is and all that stuff, I don't want to butcher it. I'm not looking at it. I know they just changed the name. Yeah, I'm going to pull so, it up exactly. I'm on the same so tip. Pull that so up, I'm okay, because I just want everybody to know where to get that info. Basically, the idea is to create some sort of like Acres USA style organic farmers magazine that's full of really good usable information. And we're using all of the growers that we know and just regular average people and people like me and Mitch to actually write some articles for it. And your article, correct me if I'm wrong, had to do with sustainability, right? Yeah, I just looked at uh, Pete. I looked at Guano. We were talking about, yep. And I Pete, looked at Guano, so energy offsets. Your arguments are really valid. And peat moss is something that is not that sustainable. And we harvest ours in the United States. There's a lot less freight involved than, than some of the stuff. But part of the reason why we use peat, Mitch, to be honest, is I don't have a facility to unpack bricks of cocoa and make sure that it's quality controlled and not too salty. Mm. So when we move in our new warehouse, we're going to be doing some tests and getting some cocoa in and doing some tests. But ultimately, here's what you need to know as maybe someone who wants to do their own tests. If you want to use cocoa instead of peat moss for your base, here's what I would change. I would delete the oyster flour out of the mineral mix. So now you just have the gypsum, basalt, and glacial. And then what I would do is instead of just uh, removing the oyster, I would add in some solpo mag. And I don't know exactly what I would add. Sulpomag is, is langbanite, correct? For folks yeah, who... langbanite, sulpomag. You'll find a few. A K-mag is another name for it. Basically what it is is a mineral that has sulfur, potassium, and magnesium. And one of the challenges with cocoa core is that magnesium, potassium, and calcium relationship. And so 
if we can pre-mix our soil with the right minerals, then we're not going to be reaching out for, you know, the all-famous bottle of CalMag and dosing all the time with it. And now we can control the ratios properly. So if you're going to use cocoa, I would say don't use all the oyster. Use more gypsum. That way, and the reason why I say that is cocoa is already pH neutral. It's not like peat moss where it's really acidic. And so we don't want to raise the pH. We don't want to use the oyster, just the gypsum. And then a little bit of that sulfomag will add more sulfur, the potassium, and the magnesium. And so that would be a difference there. Um, and the name of the magazine, by the way, is... What, what, what's up? The name of the magazine, by the way, for folks who want to check this out. And uh, you can you can buy it online and read it online, or you can order a hard copy. It's pretty cool. It's yep. Probiotics and Cannabis Magazine. And the website is probioticsandcannabis.com. I'll go ahead and post yeah. it in the forum as well. It, it was pretty cool. I thought it would be Sounds like a PDF or something you. hard to read, but it's actually like a full-color, flippable, interactable... Uh, digital magazine that you can read online. But like Mitch, I just wanted to own a hard copy. I feel like it's a piece of cannabis history. I wanted to have the first issue you know, in my house to kind of put my hands on and, and, of course, read Mitch's article and check out all the other cool stuff in there. But um, anyways, you know, check that stuff out, and there's going to be some of the same stuff that we're talking about in that issue. Um, you know, so definitely worth looking into. But you brought you that up because of foliar, right? exactly, yeah. Okay, so foliar feeding is something that is very interesting. We did an episode on IPM, or Integrated Pest Management, and I still to this day get a lot of people quest asking questions or asking for that report, and I just really appreciate you guys letting us on and talk about that because whether you're organic, organic or whether you use bottled nutrients or synthetics or hydro, it doesn't matter. You can all benefit from a little bit of organic foliar. And there's a few different products that exist out there. There's a certain things you can make on your own, and there's a few reasons. I'm not a big foliar feeding guy, meaning I think I've got everything possible in the soil. Normally, when you're talking about hybrids gardeners, they're dealing with soil that has less than 10% organic matter and may not have all the minerals and nutrients in it. And so it's very cost-effective to do a foliar spray to cover what might be missing. In our systems, we have everything in there, but we have a fast-growing plant that sometimes could be take advantage of some extra nutrients and they can be absorbed through the phylosphere or the area on the leaf. And so that's why they call it foliar spraying or foliar feeding. And there's some methods, there's some products like uh, the sea salt products that exist where they take the sodium out and have all the minerals from the ocean. Um, I know there's one called earth tonic and that one is a salt product and that has, you know, some biodynamic preps in it, basically all the minerals. And so you can put a couple drops of that in foliar and really, shortcut just in case you don't have something in your soil. Other people will use kelp meal and make a tea out of that and foliar with it. Some people will use coconut water. Some people use fulvic acid. Long story short, if you need something and you think that your plants might be struggling a little bit, maybe because you overwatered, underwatered, and you're hesitant to put it in the soil, you can whip up a foliar solution. And basically, you're just trying to get any water-soluble constituents into the water. So you'll bubble some kelp, and uh, then the fulvic acid is used as a catalyst, helps absorb into the leaf into the leaf area faster. So normally when I do a spray foliarly, I will add two components every time. A little bit of a wetting agent, either a yucca or an aloe, and a little bit of fulvic acid. And that way I'm getting it to stick to the leaf, penetrate the surface, and make sure that it takes advantage of it. And then from there, I will just use a little bit of maybe compost tea or a little bit of kelp meal tea or whatever I'm making, and that'll go foliar. But I got to say, like I said, I'm not a big foliar guy. I don't do that very often. What I do personally, and this will be different from every other organic grower out there, we all have our own style. 
all the foliar that I typically do is the IPM stuff we talked about in the past. Every week, like clockwork, usually on Sundays, I make a three-gallon batch in my Chapin concrete sprayer. It's a red sprayer. It's industrial. It has a wand, and it really helps me spray. You can go get a plastic one at the hardware store, whatever you want, and that wand will help you deliver the spray. And you fill it up, and usually I do my neem oil, the potassium silicate, and a little bit of aloe vera powder. And I mix that up, and I spray that on all the foliage in the vegetative period only, and maybe a week in the flower or two. But this will be my preventative maintenance to make sure that no bugs, molds, or mildews will develop on any of the leaf area, and I'll keep it clean as long as possible until the plant can defend itself when it gets in the flower and starts putting right. trichomes out. That, that's literally so, the, almost the exact foliar, foliar spray that I give mine for, for preventative, or, uh, preventative methods. Perfect. Uh, yeah, and a lot of us do because that's not something that I made up. That's something that all of the community designed together over the last decade, right. and it seems to be effective. So we all use it. And the aloe is a wetting agent. That's why it's in there. It's a saponin. It's got soapy-like qualities, helps deliver the spray. But more than that, aloe has some other stuff like salicylic acid, which actually helps raise the, pest, the plant's defenses on its own. Now, I will occasionally use my, my sprayer to water my plants. And the reason why is when you've got a large volume of soil, sometimes the top will dry out a little sooner. And if you were to go dump water in fast, it'll go to the bottom and create mud down there. So what I'll do is I'll use the sprayer to spray and mist the top of my soil occasionally, and that will make sure that the top stays moist. And a lot of times when I do that, I'll do a compost tea or I'll do a alfalfa kelp tea with a little molasses, something like that. Or I'll do a sprouted seed tea. And so since I've already got something of some nutritional value in my sprayer, I will usually, while I'm doing that, turn down the lights or raise them up and spray my plants down at the same time. And so that's when I foliar feed, when it's convenient because I'm already feeding the soil. Makes sense. Uh, we do have some yep. questions from the chat room, and I was curious to get your opinions on this. I know uh, C Maiden, when we were back in the forums, was posting about using milk. <laughs> milk foliar, milk for the soil. Uh, I thought you were going to ask about pea. <laughs> sure, well, you could talk about rabbit pea, too. I've heard rabbit pea's great. No, rabbit pea's fine. You know, uh, She was talking about her own urine, I believe. Oh, well, kind of maybe she eats like a while, rabbit. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so what were you asking about then? What was C Maiden mentioning? Uh, milk. Milk. Okay, perfect. So a lot of people talked about using milk as a foliar. And uh, before I heard about this, I was actually at a, at a job that I had. Uh, there was some slow time, and so I talked to the other employees there. And one of the guy's wife, um, she grew up in this area. I grew up in California. She grew up here in western Colorado where it was still a lot more rural. And so her experience, she's a little older than me, was that she raised an entire garden for her whole family, canned and jarred all the food they ate, and all four or five of their kids had all homemade stuff. And so I was like, wow, that's crazy. And she goes, yeah, my, my uh, husband actually worked at the dairy. And my grandpa would get a call from him when they had all the old milk they needed to throw out. And he'd come load up a whole truck with milk, and he'd go spray it across all of his fields. And out here, we have a product where the soil is really high in alkaline-forming materials. And supposedly, pouring all that old milk on the field would not only help as a foliar spray, but also help enrich the soil. And there's been people that have done foliar sprays with milk raw milk, all sorts of stuff. One thing I haven't seen is a bad thing happen. I haven't seen someone hurt their plant by using a little bit of milk, but I've personally not been a big fan of it. I think that using the whey from homemade kefir, the whey from a lactobacillus solution, gets right into the heart of what the milk was really there for and gets the more potent part of it. And that's where the probiotic farmers come in there. In fact, there's a guy that does a lot of research and is a little more into the reading side um, of the latest technologies out there. And 
he's saying that using milk fat and using um, lactobacillus and things could actually create a more potent plant. And, you know, there's always going to be speculation on that stuff. But it's neat when things that we're using start to have facts to add up to back it up. And milk is something that's out there. I just don't have exact dosages. I don't know how much to use. And I'm not going to tell someone to spray milk on their plants because I don't know. Yeah, I've always, but been, there's another, I've always been scared there's of There's another one. Um, yeah. Have you heard of the egg yolk spray? Sure, sure, egg yolk spray. So if you look on YouTube, you can find Google egg yolk foliar spray or egg yolk pest spray. And egg yolk is an emulsifier, and it's very similar to using a wetting agent or anything like that. And so when we're using a spray, a lot of times we use neem oil. Well, people would use any oil on their farm because the oil will clog bugs up and, you know, help get rid of them. And so a lot of times people will take like a little bit of neem oil or a little bit of canola oil and to emulsify it, you can take an egg yolk or two and blend that in your blender and that'll work as an emulsifying agent to help it stick to the leaves. And I've heard some good results using that as well. So, so back to more practical foliar feeding. It's yeah, not you yep. feel you feel it's not necessary really. Do you think there's a way to boost performance no. during uh during flowering? I think there probably is, but I think that that I haven't found anything that's dramatic. Meaning, it might be worth it because, for instance, uh, the multi-millionaire golf player is probably only five strokes ahead of somebody making no money. So right. little differences can really add up when you have synergy. And so I would say, you know, research foliars, maybe get it more into it than I have, and do some side-by-side testing. I'm only one guy. I've only got one grow tip. And so we're all using each other as resources to share our experiences, and that's where the value is. So hopefully someone else has better experience with foliar feeding, and they can talk about it. But there's studies I've read. They show yield increases. The studies I've read, though, aren't in built soils like we use. They're typically in a soil that needed help. And, of course, a foliar is going to make a big difference in that situation. Right, because that plant needs help, of course. It needs help. Sense. So the foliar is going to instantly be available, where ours, the, the plant's like, shoot, I already got that. I'm full, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So, so um, we got about six minutes left. What else, anything else you wanted to cover, or should we just open it up for questions? You know, you can open up the questions. One of the other things I want to cover is I always forget to mention how peat moss is bagged and made and, that was one of the reasons why we started looking at raw peat moss instead of the bales that were already pre-mixed, like Chromix. And Mitch, you'll remember, Coot and the others talked about the manufacturing <laughs> process and how there's only a couple players in Canada. They own all of the land as far as the leases, and they have very strict laws on how much they can harvest. And so once they harvest it, they've got to get it on a truck and deliver it to the soil packing facility or the, the facility that makes the Promix. And so to get it there, now we have to put it on a truck and there's freight, and fuel is expensive. And so the way to get the most peat moss from the bog to the soil facility is to dehydrate it, take all of the water weight out, pack it really tight, and send it off. Then it gets to the soil facility, and they chop it up, blend it into a uniform size, and then re-wet it. And so it goes through all these things where it's sterilized and killed and then rehydrated with a wetting agent. And that makes for a pretty good end product that feels nice in the bag. And it might be easy to work with for a beginner. But when you get your own peat moss in the bale that's just raw peat moss, that's been taken right from the bog, bagged with all the moisture that's normally there and sent out. So when you get it, it's actually got fulvic acids and living bacteria and living fungi. And that is already a living enrichment to your soil additive. And that's why we like to start with the raw peat moss. The difference is, is it doesn't have a wetting agent. And peat moss, until it's soaking wet, will actually repel water. And so when you make your own soil, you want to make sure to get it nice and wet before you put it in your containers. Otherwise, water is going to be hard to get in there. So, How do you recommend doing that? Do you use some sort of 
uh, aloe uh, to get it in there? Or you just I typically water with just an, an extra amount of aloe. But lately what we're trying is a yucca product from Nectar of the Gods. And I know they're a, a, another supporting member of the team there. I think at least they've sponsored Adam Dunn in the past. Yes, sir. At, uh, your show. And uh, Mitch gave me the phone number uh, for the gentleman over there at Nectar of the Gods. And I just really liked talking to him. I felt kind of a kindred spirit in the sense that he cares about the product. He cares about getting quality. It's also lowered his profit margins because he's not using the cheapest stuff. And so it was really fun to talk to him and just talk soil, and he's really smart. And I looked at his products, found a yucca product that's a cherry that's been blended with fulvic acid, and I thought, you know, I'm going to try that. And I just ordered some last week. We now have it available, and we're suggesting people water with something like that to help wet it, whether it's aloe or yucca. There's a lot of brands out there. We carry the nectar of the gods. Um, I'm still doing research. I have not used the product for more than one day. I've only used it once. So please don't quote me on that. It's not something that I've used a lot of. But uh, for what it's worth, I felt a, a decent amount of trust with talking with the owner there and also talking to Mitch and everybody else. So that's the wetting agent. Um, ultimately, what I do without a wetting agent is I take a Rubbermaid tub, I open my bag of soil, I dump it in. I pour a gallon or two of water in and I mix it up by hand. I come back a little while later and see what the texture looks like. If it's too dry, I add a little more water. If it's too wet, then I add more dry soil. And once it's the, that moisture, here's how you tell. When you put your hands in and you pull out a clump of soil, if you squeeze that and water just runs down your fist, that's too wet and it's going to kill your plant or cause lockout. If you reach in, you squeeze it, and it doesn't feel, it feels kind of dry and no water comes out at all, it's too dry. When you get to that point where you squeeze it and maybe just one bead of water comes out, in that range is where you want the moisture to be. And then you're ready to put it in your container and put your plant in. And if you were to try and put it in the container and then water it, very hard to tell if the bottom is wet or dry, if the top is wet or dry, and you're setting yourself up for some more challenges. So we got a couple minutes left, bud, and I just want to introduce some other variables of the system that people have been talking about in the chat room, that being the coconut water, of course, and uh, the some source of silica. Perfect. Okay. Love it. So I mentioned that as the components of the base are three parts. Well, our recipe for Build-A-Soil, we took the aeration component, one part of the mix, <laughs> and we split it in two. We did 25% of the pumice, which is very much like perlite, but it's just a, a, a material that's mined. We take these little white pebbles, and that goes in the soil. And then what we add 10 to 15% of is the rice holes. And Rice Hole, the brand that we use is Parboiled Rice Holes, or PBH. Parboiled have been boiled first, so you're not going to have seeds sprouting out of your soil. And they're a really quality product. But much like horsetail, rice holes, or the actual part that holds the rice material, it's like the casing of the seed shell, that's what a hole is, and it's almost all silica. And it actually provides aeration. So you add that into your soil mixture, and now it's going to slowly release silica into the soil over the long term. <coughs> The other thing is there's materials like green sand. There's other materials you can add, like some of these gross stones and other products that exist on the market. Diatomaceous earth has silica. So there are lots of sources. Horsetail, if you put that into your compost or you make a solution out of it, the biodynamic people make a biodynamic prep out of horsetail. Lots of ways to get silica. Personally, there's another product called Agsil 16H. It's a powdered potassium silicate very much like Dynagrow Protect or some of the other brands, and that's another way to get some liquid readily available silica into your system. Right on. Uh, yep. we, we got some more questions coming in, too. Okay. Uh, someone said, 
What are the plausible limits to adapting all these organic organisms to water culture? I'm not a big water culture guy, so I'm yeah. not the right person to ask. Right I on. would rather go fishing in the wild and then grow my soil in the dirt. Right on. I'll actually, you know, I'll introduce you, Jeremy, to Avery Ellis out in uh, Boulder. And, and Horatio, if you're listening, we'll try to get Avery on the show. He's, he's a buddy Perfect. of mine. He's an aquaponics expert. That's um, awesome. And that's one area where I just have such a limited amount of knowledge, I'm not comfortable talking about it. Right on, I'd buddy. I'd probably be wrong. So, so uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Anyone? Questions? The kid, do you have questions? Kid, kid, come on. I was just, I mean, I'm just glad you're here. My foliar feed is, uh... Oh, you want to talk coconut water real quick, bud? Oh, yeah. So, coconut water is a material that obviously is basically a large seed. I believe it's actually a droop, but it doesn't really matter. It is something that has all the essence of life in there. The liquid from a young coconut that's about six months old and still green, not a brown old coconut. That has coconut milk and coconut meat. And that has already been, the nutrients have already been turned into that material. So when you get a young green coconut, it has liquid inside or coconut water. And if you do research, there is nothing but report after report showing all the amazing benefits for human health. We've used it during blood transfusions and wars. We've used it for health benefits. Uh, you name it, there's, there's a positive effect from coconut water. And it stems from the fact that it's full of enzymes, full of vitamins, full of all these beneficial properties that grow that coconut tree out of the seed. And so the problem now becomes fresh is the only way to go. Well, when something sits in water, it typically loses its beneficial properties unless it's cold. So the moment they harvest those, they've got to bottle it and keep it frozen or keep it ice cold. And that's the way Harmless Harvest does it. They are super fresh, get it out there, you know, refrigerate it the whole time, and that's probably the best liquid product out there. Besides that, there's almost no way to get a liquid that's going to have almost anything valuable in it because the liquid... They're going to put a citric acid or something to stabilize it. And as it sits on the shelf for a couple months, all the benefits are gone. So what we did is we got a freeze-dried powder, which is just freeze-dried the, the same day that it's harvested and chopped up. So it's locked in. And then we try and get it so that it was made less than a month ago. And we keep it and we buy small batches and sell it all the time. So you can go to the grocery store and buy coconut water. It's no problem. Just try and avoid ones that have... Uh, you'll notice some that say electrolytes. Usually that's they added salt. And you'll see some that say they added like um, tapioca and citric acid. And some of those aren't bad, but just read the ingredients and you want one that's mo- you know almost all coconut water with no extra additives. And there are plenty of brands that, that are. Um, they may there not all be brands. available and the, the tapioca is the one that's like the least of your concern. Right. Most brands, even ours, we're actually researching further just to make sure because, you know, even people we buy stuff from, they may not know the entire details. And so we're always doing more research. But most companies out there will freeze dry the coconut powder with some sort of carrying agent. And they're not even, they, by law, they don't even have to tell you to put that in there. Right. And usually it's something organic and safe because they're feeding humans with it. And so it's, it's very safe to use. But occasionally you'll buy one that says added electrolytes, and added salt, and it has citric acid, and it has some other stuff that you might want to avoid. And so just stay away from that stuff. Right on. Right on. Yep. Um, well, we're during the wrap-up phase, but uh, I love talking to you about it, so we might have questions. I'll leave you on the line for now. You okay. Know. Yeah, definitely. Let's see if we got any questions. Um, yeah, chat I'm room. We're getting pack- packages out today, and I've got a lot to get done. So if you guys have anything, you can just let me know. Nice. Uh, chat room, we got 10 minutes left with Jeremy. If you guys have any questions, please let us know. If anyone wants to call in with questions, can we handle that, kid? 
Yeah, yeah, we can do a, we can have another caller call it out. Cool. What's that number? Cool, that'd be awesome. Be yeah, cool. and just so you know, I mean, I'm just aggregating data. This is me experiencing, growing, and failing, and killing plants, and having success, and taking note of what works and what doesn't work. And all we're trying to do is maybe save you those three or four years and get you up to speed a little faster. And um, if you go to our Instagram, .buildasoil, we use the same living organic soil recipe we're talking about, and you can see the results look good. We're not going to grow you know, anything 10 pounds out of a little container, but yield-wise, we're usually getting uh, you know, the same as average as what most growers who are doing that are using multiple different varieties and you know, focusing more on quality. So, Right on, brother. And uh, folks, uh, if you want to call in the number 720-310-8237. Call in, ask Jeremy questions, say what's up, talk to us. Um, I'm going to come come into uh, wrap-up time. Ooh, I'm going to talk uh, about some wrap-up, do some housekeeping. Wrapping it up? Yeah, well, well, well would Jeremy stay on because some of this involves you. Okay, wait, so, wait, you're okay. doing wrap-up right now? Yeah, we're in it's, the wrap-up. Uh, it's, uh, it's only 2 o'clock there, pal. Uh, hour short on the show. Okay. <laughs> were, you high or something? were you high or something? <laughs> Told you, but I didn't sleep last night. Jeremy, we got a whole other hour. Nah, we, yeah, we, we're just all, we, yeah, we, we, whatever. It's okay. We can, I can have do whatever you show. guys want. I we got can, a lot of packages to get out, and I want to make sure that our customers but, get some yeah, let them, we, calls yeah, back we today. But really show. I'm here for yeah. you guys right now. You know? so yeah, yeah. There's more questions, more stuff to talk about. Well, do you sure do you feel like do you feel like you covered everything in your uh, in the document? First of all, I did. I covered most of the stuff we talked about, and ultimately, I pointed you in the direction to look and to start asking questions. And so, there's not going to be every single detail listed, but the bottom foundational formulas, the base recipe, the nutrients we use, all of that information is in that report. And then, of course, you can uh, email us. You know, lately we've been growing a lot, and springtime is very busy. So sometimes we'll get a couple hundred emails in a day, and the ones that take me a half hour to sit down and actually think about a response, it might take me a couple days to get back to you. But please, we're here. We really want to hear from you. Um, our phones right now, you can call our phone system. I, I'm the one that really likes to answer the phone call so I can answer your question properly. Well, there's only one of me, and so that's slowing down a little bit right now too. And so right now we're designing a frequently asked question section, and we're going to be dedicating an entire page of a website to all of your questions and getting them all out in the open and answering them really well. In fact, we'll do video responses, anything we can do to make sure that people can understand and trust organics without getting scared of how many choices there are and how many options there are. Because, man, you can't just go buy an A and B bottle. You know, you got to make your soil and you got to start it off right. Right on, man. Well, um, let me... We bring some questions from the chat room. People are asking what the shipping cost is. Is soil expensive to ship? Soil is expensive to ship. It's really not the best way to go. Right. But he, our, our thought process behind it was, okay, there's a guy that drives his vehicle down your street every single day and already burns the fuel. So if we can put a box or two of soil on there, it's going to capitalize on that efficiency, and we will streamline the process by having all the stuff come through us. But shipping costs money. In Colorado and New Mexico, we can get a pallet anywhere for 100 bucks costs a little more but we just round it to 100 so you know so it works out for everybody and that means you can get up to 54 cubic feet or about two yards of soil on a pallet anywhere in colorado or new mexico and the freight charge is 100 bucks and then if you were to go online and get our four gallon you know like our half cubic foot flat rate large box of soil that would be enough you know to start some, some small plants off in or maybe do one half of the container um that is 
free shipping, and I believe it's $25 for a box. And, of course, we're paying the shipping. I think it costs us like 16 bucks to get it there. So we just round out the numbers. So what you see is what you pay. And we do have one cubic foot bags of soil, about seven and a half gallons. Those weigh around 30 to 35 pounds depending on moisture weight. And so when you would go to our website, you can actually add those bags, two, three, four bags, whatever you want, into your shopping cart. And then from there, in your shopping cart, it will do a real-time calculation of UPS, FedEx, you know, all the carriers and tell you what it costs. What we're working on implementing right now is working with some major freight lines. And we're going to have it available so that you can go on our website, calculate how much it would cost to send you know, a yard or two of soil anywhere in the country, any time of the day or night. But we're not there. So if it's a bulk order, you're going to have to call us. And typically... If it's going all the way to California, Oregon, New York, places far away, it's almost the same cost of the soil to get it delivered. So if you spend 500 on soil, you're going to spend 500 on shipping. And, man, that's a lot when you can make it your own. So if you've got time on your side and you can spend a few weeks making soil, call us. We'll help you get educated, print this report out. And then now all you need from us is one nutrient kit. Send it to your house and you're ready to make soil. It just makes it easy. Right on, man. Well, yep. I, I have a lot of people that call and ask freight and end up wanting to make their own soil. It just makes sense. But if you're willing to step up and spend good, shipping money, we're here to help. So. It's a good incentive to make your own soil right there. Yeah. And the shipping cost alone. And the fact that, yeah. you know, it's I, I can't think of any other person who sells anything who's like, really, it's expensive to ship, so why don't you make it? Here's instructions and everything you need to make it. <laughs> That's our philosophy from the beginning. will never change. Every product we have has all the exact amounts of the ingredients we use so you can make it yourself. And I've noticed something. It's just like everywhere else in life. When you have a mindset that is based on poverty and that there's just not enough to go around, you've got to be secretive. That's usually what transpires. And when you think abundantly, give all your resources and all your information and you know it's going to work, and just put the love out there, it just comes back tenfold. And our business has really worked well on that model, and so we're going to keep it going forward. So far, we don't carry any products that are proprietary, that have secrets in them, because that means I can't tell my customer what's in it. And so for now, we're keeping it that way. We love it, bud. And, of course, we always love hearing you on the show and having you uh, teach everyone the basics. And I want to kind of continue this up with like a sort of like a Soil Building 102 class maybe. Yeah, maybe I could even like do, uh, man, I'd love to come out there and see you guys. We're actually, we're hoping to move into a warehouse in the next three weeks to 45 days. And I mean, I'm just a small business owner that started out of my house. And so it takes a lot of resources to make these moves and a lot of planning. But the goal will be in the next month or two to be in a warehouse. And if that happens, then I might be able to actually take some time and go visit you guys in the studio and Maybe we could do an actual soil building demonstration. I don't know. Nice. That would be cool. And of course, we're hoping to see you in April for the ADSI. Yep, that's my main goal is to get everything done at the warehouse so I can get out there by then. And I cool. uh, keep my fingers crossed. Definitely something I want to do. Sweet. Right on, brother man. Well, we'll be in touch cool. soon. And uh, thank you again for coming on. And please feel free to post stuff in the forum if you have articles or thoughts. Oh, other question. Is there any coupon codes or deals that people can use? I don't right now. We we're, we're occasionally will release them. But based on us being a homemade, hand-packed system, a lot of times we have low profit margins. And, for instance, the other day we just started carrying these new LED lights by Mars because I like them. You know, there's a lot of great brands out there. But in any case, what happened is someone used a coupon code on those. Well, I never thought about that. Our margin is only like 3% because it's a you know, technology item. And the coupon was for 10%. So I ended up paying him to take the lights. And it's not a big deal, but stuff like that happens. We're 
too small to have it all figured out, and we're working on a really detailed, really well-accounted-for inventory in the next week or two. And at that time point, we'll probably do a special discount promo for spring once we know what our real cost is on some of the products. So getting close, but nothing there. Just bear with us. Perfect. Thanks, buddy. Well, we'll definitely, you could, when you have that, why don't you go ahead and post it right in the forum on adamdunchman.com. And just so you know, if someone posted a review through our system, uh, we offer you a, a, the opportunity to get a 5% or a 10% discount code, whether you publish a review and then if you share it through network marketing. And so after your purchase, you will, your first purchase, you will have an opportunity to get a coupon. And we actually had some issues with that system. It wasn't delivering all the coupons right away. So if you've ever done a review and you've got a question about where your 5% off was, anything like that, please message us. We want to take care of you. So. Nice. Thanks, bud. All right. Well, cool. I know you guys have some more time left in the show. I'm not sure how slotted it was out for the rest of Swell Talk, but I'm available for you guys if you want to talk some more. So. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, you want to keep talking? Let's keep talking. Sure, keep going. Okay. Yeah. Can Adam, you got any organics yeah. questions? Uh, well, we, we talked about the soil mixes, and you know, one of the things that you'll notice is we talked about one part of each. Where our actual build a soil mix right now, we use a little bit more peat moss, and and instead of using 35 percent of the compost, we used about 30, about one part close to that range of pure worm castings or the vermicompost from Worm Power. And so you can see if you go to our website, our living organic soil is basically the recipe we just shared with you, just slightly skewed on those base recipes. And so I want you to be able to, at home, be able to tinker with anything. You know, you don't have to have exactly one part of each. That's all I'm getting at. And then as far as the amendments, you don't have to use just the coot amendments. You could add maybe a half cup of alfalfa meal. You could add a little bit of fish meal. You could add some richer things. And where I would advise this is if you're trying to grow in a little bit smaller container, I would potentially think about maybe adding a little bit more nitrogen like the fish meal or anything like that. And in the report, one of the things we talk about is how to guesstimate what fertilizers quantities to use. And so the coots mix is about one and a half cups of mixed fertilizer per cubic foot. I would say the maximum you want to use with any soil recipe is about three to four cups of fertilizers per cubic foot. Anything past that and you're starting to make like a super soil that's more of a base, and a lot of people will put a really hot amount of soil on the bottom of their soil pot and a fresher, lighter soil on top in hopes that the roots won't get burned when they get fed into it. And our philosophy is to make a soil that's more homogenous across the, the board, and so that's why we use a little less fertilizer but evenly across. Um, I'm we, trying to think of other really common questions that we get. Well, we got we got a couple more in the chat room right here, so you can add these to Perfect. your FAQ. Uh, one, what are your thoughts on veganics? Veganics is one of those things that I think is, a, is just a, of a term. And so no matter what you get into, you'll find that there's terms to more accurately describe that niche. And unfortunately, when I think of veganics, I think of a brand. I don't really think of a process. And you guys all know what the brand is. But to me, that brand wasn't really vegan and it had, wasn't really organic or, you know, there's lots of speculation there. But in any case, to me, for instance, I don't know where to draw the line. Like, if you go and you're going to get organic food at the producers at the farmer's market, how do you ask if that's been grown veganically? I mean, there are crustacean shells in all of our soil from the water covering the earth. There's animal poop in all of the soil out there. And so I just no, don't necessarily understand how it's a real thing. And when you bring it indoors, I get it. You know, you don't want to use maybe certain ingredients like the blood meal. And so I follow some of those philosophies, but I don't call it veganic. I just call it building soil right. and using your tastes and preferences to do that. And so worm castings, 
is that veganic? I mean, it's poop, but it's from a worm who's digesting plant material. Yeah, that well, he, he said that wasn't grown that with wasn't, fertilizer, you know. So Kyle Cushman says worm castings are are are, are, are okay. Are, they are veganic. Are okay. Yeah. And so, see, the thing is, is it takes someone like Cushman to define veganics, which means to me, it's a brand and it's not a process. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and so, is got, crustacean meal veganic? It, no, in his system, no. But and, it, that's in every soil out there. I don't care it's who in, you are. It's in the dirt. I know. We're in the ocean, and it was yeah. part of the earth. And if you go dig in your soil, you'll find little shells. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we got. I mean, not not everywhere, but we got some more chat room questions. Okay. Do you have any questions? Do you have any questions? No, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily a soil grower. That's why I was gonna have. I, I told I told uh, Mitch last night. I was like, yeah, we could do like hydro chick hydro versus, chick soil, chick versus guy. soil guy. You know what I mean? And we could have a battle. Yeah, hydro what? Hydro after soil guy. A hydro chick versus soil guy. That was our. That was, oh, that, yeah, that, that was my original. That was my original concept. But I didn't want to like throw I've her into the wolf. We need some theme music no, no, for that. No, yeah, I've did, made a yeah. lot of teas before, and obviously I garden outside when I can here. Yeah. Which is about three months out of the year. Um, yep. But. I'm very particular about what I put in my garden. I at least want it to be something good. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I think that's what veganics mean. Is it to me, people that talk about veganics, what that tells me about their thought process is that they care about what they're putting in there and they have some boundaries. And I may not understand the veganics completely, but I wouldn't talk down on it. It's just another section that may be a little bit more. Well, I mean, we, along we, we, we came to the conclusion that it was stuff, a, so. about 2% non organic. Not even natural. Yeah. 2% <laughs> of it's not <laughs> two, natural. Two, you know, so there, so it's kind of, yeah, that just kind of throws the whole thing askew a little bit there where you're like, uh, okay, yeah. It's, <laughs> we got more chat room questions. One question here coming in from G, not, not Massachusetts, G. Uh, he asked about the cooking time. On soil, yeah. I know you went over it uh, briefly, but if you want to go over it in detail, I did. So we'll go over it. So cooking is a term that's brought up, and a couple of things I want to make clear: some old books out there will say that you need to sterilize soil by putting it in the oven. That is not what we're talking about. Never ever cook your soil. Don't sterilize it. We want living soil full of life. Yeah. And it'll cook, typically, it'll when I look itself. at my soil surface, it's just moving with soil mites and all sorts of beneficial predators that keep the bad guys out. And so I like that, and it doesn't scare me. And so when you cook a soil pile. The process is typically a pile it up, and usually you want to have a, good, a decent volume of soil, 100, 200 gallons, but if you make less, it will still work. Ultimately, what we're doing is kind of composting the soil. We just added ingredients. Each ingredient has its own carbon to nitrogen ratio. Things like blood meal are really skewed in the nitrogen ratio. And so when we add ingredients like that, they will actually go thermal and heat up. And if you plant a plant into it and the soil gets 200 degrees, it's going to kill your plant. The idea with cooking is to let it sit until the temperature has stopped getting up in temperature. That's really the only right answer. And so if you mix up a huge pile and it gets 180 degrees and you turn it, and in three days it's 150 degrees and you turn it, and in three days it's 150 degrees and you turn it, once it gets down to about 100 degrees, it's done heating up. You're done. Whether that took a month and a half or whether that took two weeks, you're finished. And then there's the opposite of cooking where we make a really small amount, like 30, 40, 50 gallons, and we just pile it up. Really what we're doing at that point is, yeah, we're letting some of the nitrogen and some of the nutrients we added get into moisture and get broken down, but we're also letting all of the moisture get perfectly even across that soil. And then as part of the extra couple of days it's sitting, it'll actually dry out if it was too moist. And so it just starts you off right. With our soil recipe, there's no cook time required. It will be the best if you let it sit for about a week. 
but you can plant into it if you really have to, and maybe use a compost tea. If you're using a super soil with a really hot mixture, and it's going to be a base, you've got to let that sit three to four weeks at a minimum. And in any case, if it wasn't our recipe, I would follow to the T whatever the recipe says. If it says, hey, sit for three weeks, don't try and do a week. Just do what the recipe says, and you'll have better results. And then you can tinker once you've messed with it. For our recipe, you certainly do not need any time. You can mix it up with our Coots Nutrient Pack. As long as you have good compost and good castings, you're ready to plant into immediately. And the reason is the kelp, the neem, and the crustacean all have very balanced carbon-to-nitrogen ratios. So what we're adding is already balanced. It doesn't really need to cook as much as some of the other materials. We also I got, hope that answers the question. I think so. Uh, we also got some questions about just-add water soils. And the, and okay. can you use the build-a-soil mix as just-add water mix, or do you have to use compost teas and sprouted seed teas? No, I've done lots of just-add waters. And although I think that adding a compost tea or two, adding a you know a kelp tea or two, some coconut water, it will give you a little bit more of that genesis qual, that unknown, wow, this is so great. And part of it's just because you're giving so much love to your plant by making those teas and checking on them every day when you're doing that. So by, by process of just being there in the garden, usually it's healthier. But water only is a great way to go. And the, the key to water only is to use massive amounts of soil. Yeah. If you use a 200-gallon container outdoor, you can just use water and pull pounds. You can't put a five-gallon container indoors, use just water with super potent lights and think that you're going to get a good yield. It'll just, it will outpace, your plant will grow too fast for the soil. Your soil will not keep up with feeding that plant. However, if you use 30 gallons and you have a three-foot-tall plant that you just have a wide canopy on, that soil can go water only and really keep up with all of your plants, no problem. And uh, it's funny. Someone in the chat room said, "I want man, I want whatever coffee this dude drinks." Referring to you, buddy. Uh, yes, I drink. Uh, I don't know. Usually a blend, dark and light. That's probably the key. <laughs> That's the secret. Uh, yeah. What do you recommend for humic and fulvic acids? Asks David A. Frey. Bioag Faust Bioag is a company I really recommend, and it's because I trust the guy. He's you know worked with the University of Hawaii. He's been involved in charity projects. He educates farmers around the world on how to convert to more con sustainable agricultural practices. His resume is just incredible. He's the guy to support in the industry. And then you look at his products, and he's got the, the, the best. So when you go to the hydro store and you see something that says fulvic acid, right after it's going to say derived from linardite, and you do not want any of that. Linardite is a coal, the hard material that you can get a lot of high percentage humic material out of, but it has very little fulvic and it's not nearly as good because it, be, it could be laden with heavy metals, et cetera, et cetera. Where if you get the material from Faust Bioag, his land contract that he has is on ancient fossilized peat, and that is from a shale uh, type of material. And so instead of having a coal, this is actually dead plant material that has been fossilized, and now all the humic content is there. And then they pay for rainwater that's been bottled, to use in their fermentation product to create the fulvic acid. So all around, all sides of the production, the bottling, the man behind it, the quality of the material, the best that I can find out there is Bioag by Faust. And he's got two products that I really like to use. We carry them both. One is called TM7, and that is their powdered humic acid material. And that's got seven micronutrients that are oftentimes a limiting factor in your soil production which means that that will, if any of those are missing, it will lower your production. 
And so by adding a TM7 either foliarly or in your watering, I think it's a quarter teaspoon per gallon. It's almost none, and it turns your whole bucket black. It's just really potent humix. And then they have a product called Full Power, which is the fulvic acid. And to give you an idea, it would probably take a couple tons of humic material to make a very, very small bat in a bottle of a fulvic acid. And they don't label it fulvic acid. They label it full power humic material. The reason why is that some states don't recognize humic and fulvic as being really different from each other. And so essentially just know that the liquid full power is the fulvic acid and the powdered humic material, the TM7, is the humic acid. You can use them both in the soil. The full power is used most efficiently as a foliar or in combination with any teas that you're delivering to the soil. And then the TM7 is great as a foliar to get the seven micronutrients or maybe once every week or two just to keep those micros balanced in the soil. So we got some more uh, chat room questions. This is actually flowing quite well, I think. Yep. Uh, Free Will Wins says, talk about beneficial information. I think he's talking about uh, beneficial bacteria. And Free yep. Will, I want to let you know, bud, that uh, if you go back in the archive and find the show with Microbe Man, speaking of yep. archives, all that stuff's getting uploaded. So Microbe Man went into full detail, but I want the Jeremy take. So what, the, what are we asking now about microbes? Well, what, what would you add in, in your – what do you use with the Build-A-Soil okay. and the blend? And, uh, so there's, there's going to be a number of school of thoughts, and this is going to continue and evolve. And my philosophy uh, stems from talking with Coot a lot, and over the years he's seen a number of microbial bottle processors come out in the market, and he's always stayed away from them, and I'm just playing on his cue in the sense that I like to make my own indigenous local microorganisms – and it sounds like a crazy word, but I just have a worm bend. And worms have this amazing ability at creating an environment that hosts a number of beneficial bacteria, fungi, predator mites, everything you can think of. And so when you start to have your own worm bend, now you have all of the bacterias and fungi, everything that you need, totally live, right there. You can reach into your bin, make a tea, inoculate your soil with it, and you're good to go. And personally, I feel that's the best way. You're going to see products out there that have purple non-sulfur bacteria as the new catchword. And I think that there's some validation there. There's going to be people doing research. It's certainly an amazing bacteria. But to me, the reason why people think it's cool is because it can be aerobic. It can be anaerobic. It can nitrogen fix. It can do all these things. And it's usually found in a stream in like the mud. Well, for me, I don't see plants in a stream growing in the mud. And I also don't see the fact that something that needs to phase shift from nitrogen fixing to anaerobic would be as good as just having the, the normal organisms that are naturally in the soil that already do that job. And in a worm bin, you have all of them. In your compost bin, you have all of them. On your property, you can harvest them by using the guild Carindang beneficial indigenous microorganism technique. That means you're cultivating bacteria that lives on the plants in your area and in the air in your bacteria that are naturally going to be the most effective in your environment, and you can feed those to the soil. But essentially, it's all in the soil. That's my philosophy, and I've bought a lot of bottled microbial products. And while I have seen some anecdotal evidence, I've never seen anything that was worth me buying a $50 bottle every couple of weeks. I just decided there's no way I'll do it. I'd rather have a warm bin, and I'm good to go. And my quality and my yields have made me happy, so I'm not really excited to reach out and start buying some microbe products. we got another question here about biochar. Yeah. yeah, biochar. We just started carrying a lot more in bulk, and this is pretty cool. I love the stuff. I didn't have a lot of experience over the last few years, just what I've read and what other people have shared. 
so I started using it, and I definitely see that there's a reason to use it in the sense that when we go no-till, biochar is kind of like a sponge. Same reason we use charcoal in our air filters. It absorbs all the odors. The charcoal that is biochar can be used to absorb all the nutrients, and then we can put that nutrient-filled charcoal into our soil. And the biochar is about 80 to 85% carbon. So the problem is if we put that right into our soil, it skews the carbon to nitrogen and will actually cause growth slowdown. So what we do is we pre-charge it with compost tea. And some people will use fish hydrolysate or whatever they've got to add more nitrogen. And that soaks into the biochar. And then they have that at about, you know, 1% to 10%. We use about 5% in our soil mixes. And we've seen a benefit. I think the biggest benefit is going to come from more further testing. But all the logic adds up that you should be able to grow in a smaller container with the results of a slightly larger container by using the biochar. And it's so cheap that it's like, why not? So we sell it by the yard, by the two yards, and also by the box. And do you source that locally? Affordable. So is that, sor- that? is that sourced here in Colorado? or? It is. It's sourced here in Colorado. We actually guy... had a source da- down the street from us that would make it, and he would see his workshop, and it was totally it was awesome. But he can't keep up with our production. And it... so I found a, a place in Colorado that has a big, huge facility just for biochar, and it's got a beautiful machine. Nice. And they make the exact size chunk we like, and they use all of the Colorado beetle kill wood that's a waste product from the beetle problem we've had here. Awesome. And they turn all of that wood that would normally be a waste into a beautiful biochar product that we can then return to our soil. And um, the size that we carry is little, like, dime-sized chunks. And they make a powder, but... Typically, the chunks or the powder is determined on like a farm setting where they need to put the powder in a fertilizer gun and spray it on the field. Right. Where for us, I like the chunks because it kind of it's kind of like adding perlite. You know, it has a little aeration and some nutrient ability. And if they're a sponge, then they stay yeah. in that zone maybe. Save a little zone. Exactly. Here's another benefit, too. Some people will send me a soil test, and they'll have a low cation exchange, meaning they don't have the ability to hold very many nutrients in the soil. But what is in there is all in excess. Too much magnesium, too much potassium. So what we'll do is we'll add the nutrients they need and a lot of biochar, which means that all of a sudden it can hold more nutrients in the soil, which means that all those percentages just went way down, and now we can correct the soil pretty quick. Right. That's good. So That sounds like a good way to balance the soil. Yeah. Yeah, I get a little excited about this stuff, but it's just natural products. All we're doing is putting something together that holds the right amount of air and water. Mm Mm-hmm. And has some organic nutrients in it, and there's really no magic to it. Well, there's a lot of magic to it, I guess. But it's, well, uh, I guess in the nature. But you don't you don't put it like in nature. Takes care of that part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to see. I think we had a, a Facebook question. Actually, hold on. We've never gotten one of those before, but I just saw something pop up. <laughs> yeah, you saw a fresh Facebook uh, post. Boom! Wait, where'd it go? I saw it. I saw it. It was there. Oh right away. man. He might have pulled it down and, and hit you up personally. I tagged you in the post. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think he, uh, well, we lost that question. All right, chat room, anything else? Let me know. The kid, you got any well, questions? Well, you want to talk more about co- questions, you were talking about you were talking about rinsing cocoa, bud. The employees looking at me with some questions about labels and stuff, so I'd <laughs> like to help them get some of these orders out. For sure. Well, uh, I did want to have one more question, Bud, because you were talking about cocoa and uh, the importance of rinsing yeah. the cocoa and things of that nature. If you could talk just a bit about that, the different grades of cocoa and things of that sort. You know, I'm not an expert on the cocoa because we haven't had to really delve into that. Mm-hmm. And I always hear people say, hey, this one right here, this brand that's already pre-fluffed and pre-moistened is the best. 
Yeah, and I'm I mean, like, yeah, that's great, but I can't afford to buy pre-moistened, pre-fluffed up stuff, mix it in the soil, and then charge anywhere near a fair price. So what I'm looking into is the raw compressed bricks, and those come on big pallets. And what I've heard from people, now correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I've heard out there that sometimes you get a good batch, sometimes mm-hmm. you get a real salty batch, and yeah. sometimes there's pieces of plastic like just ground up in it. And so I'm looking for a supplier, if somebody knows one, that's got a killer quality washed, then bricked and compressed supply of cocoa that I can start to work with. And my hopes is that in a couple months when we move into our workshop, I can designate an area to, to mixing with cocoa and do some tests. But um, Yeah, the biggest problem with cocoa is just factor. where it's harvested. You know, if it's near the coast, it's going to be more salty. And if it's okay. more inland, it's going to be uh, naturally less salty off the front end. And uh, yeah. People tend to, you know, if it's Indonesian, is it from Thailand? Is it from here? There's a lot of different sources, and you know, some yeah. are like, like as far as name brand bags of soil. I mean, there's definitely been you can see, you you can pretty much right away tell because the better stuff is velvety almost at touch. You it know? feels so nice. Yeah, it does feel really good. You're like, ooh, this feels really. I nice. want to sleep on this. <laughs> exactly. What, what's, what's the brand? You, what's the stuff? But like, like, about? like Playground actually makes a really good. Uh, which is a Dutch brand, and they, mm-hmm. I mean the Dutch have been down doing cocoa forever because they love cocoa over there. It's for them. Yeah, like, and, and over there, overseas, peat moss is is, is horrific to use. They have yeah. a lot less of it, and it's burnt for fuel. So cocoa makes so much sense over there. Yeah, it comes from mostly from uh, Scandinavia and stuff. Out exactly, there. and so they were a lot more financially motivated to use cocoa. Where right here, we're just behind the times because we're not financially motivated to use the cocoa. There's tons of peat bogs that we've only touched a percent of, and either way, it's you know. I personally would rather make some leaf mold or make something here that I didn't have to do. Oh, let's talk leaf mold. Let's talk leaf mold real quick, and I'll let you off when you talk a little leaf mold. Yeah. So let's say you, uh, each tree is going to have a different breakdown period, and I'd have to look it up to tell you. Um, One of the fears that you'll hear about certain trees is that they have properties called allelopathy or allelopathic. I always say the word wrong. But in any case, certain trees will actually send off material that's like bad and will prevent things from growing that way they mark off their territory and no new trees come grow right next to them to block the light and so for the most part i'm pretty sure every tree is safe and most of their stuff i've read on allelopathy has been kind of bs in the sense that it won't really hurt a soil it's just for when you know the trees are going naturally so almost any leaf will work um i would say leaf material instead of pine needles those are too acidic but if you get people leaving their bags of leaves and, and fall on the side of the road grab them in that trash bag, just leave all the leaves that are already all piled up in that bag for about a year or two. When you open it up, you'll have what they call leaf mold. And it's basically a compost that's made only from one ingredient, and it's the leaf. The fastest way to do it is to blend all the leaf material up first, so it's all chopped up. And you'll see a lot of videos online if you Google leaf mold. Like people will take, like, uh, some pig fencing or, I'm sorry, some whatever, chicken wire, whatever they've got, and make a round pen, like for compost. And they will fill it with all the leaves from their yard, and they will mash them all up, and they will fill it. And then they will moisten it so it has a nice, even moisture content. And they'll just let that sit there and keep it moist and cover it with plastic. And about it, after about a year, with most leaves, you'll have leaf mold. And some trees take longer to break down, and it might take you know two years. But essentially, at that point, you've basically got a peat moss-like material that you can build your soil base off of that is totally local, is completely sustainable, and the only bummer and the only reason we don't do it is there's no factory out there that's gathering all the leaves that you know the trees put out there for free every year and and turning it into a product. 
And it's weird because all the neighbors, none of them leave the leaves on the ground. I mean, they're supposed to fertilize the ground, but of course we want to rake them up, put them in a pile, put them in trash bags and take them to the dump. Mm-hmm. And so you can stop that by just grabbing, tell all your neighbors, bring all your leaves here. And you can just make a pile or keep them in the trash bag. Or start a leaf mold factory. Yep, and eventually you have leaf mold and then you can sell Stealing it. Stealing all Adam's life. ideas right <laughs> out of his head. Leaf mold factory. Yeah. You can, you can do that one. What do you do? I'm in leaf mold. <laughs> you can do the leaf yep. mold factory. There you, it's go. Okay. It's okay. So there, you do the leaf mold. I'll buy all of it from you. It's all to the customers. Nice. And now we can uh, go around peat moss and cocoa, and it'll work fantastic. Uh, we got one more question, and then I'm letting you go, and that one is paramagnetic soil. Paramagnetic. I love it. So I just got a book by Callahan, who is kind of the godfather of the uh, paramagnetic movement. It's Philip S. Callahan. The book's called Paramagnetism. And I tell you, when you start looking into paramagnetism and reading the science behind it, it takes it from voodoo weirdness to like, wow, this is something we just don't understand yet. And you start to read about the history, and it seems like some of these ancient cultures may have understood it by some of the buildings that they made. And the book talks about these buildings that were made from basalt that is highly paramagnetic, and they were formulated in a certain area that would create energy. But in any case, we know how magnets work. And that's a great way to get to visualization, that there's some unexplainable energy that's created. And there's some science on magnets, but what there's a little science in is the paramagnetic power of natural material. And so one of the properties of volcanic rock is that it's usually high in paramagnetism. And we also see that where there's volcanoes exploding and that paramagnetism exists, we have the most fertile soils. And so Philip Callahan did some testing where he would grow soil near some paramagnetic material and get a very documentable um, results, and it was beneficial. And so if we're going to use rock dust, let's say it's glacial rock dust or whatever as as part of our soil mix, why not use (laughs) something that has high paramagnetic energy? Because even though we don't fully understand it, it's proven to add energy to the soil, add energy to the plant, and add some sort of ability to increase the yield. And I don't know exactly how that works, but in the book it lays out a lot of the science that's, you know, beyond my ability and it will allow you to kind of borrow from that. And then we find out that the basalt that we particularly carry, the owner of Rock Dust Local, uh, Tom Vanacor, really cool guy, he paid all the money to have one of these multi-thousand, $100,000 machines that they talk about in the paramagnetic field brought out and test the basalt that we use. And it is just off the chart in paramagnetism, really quality product. And so if you're already going to use a Rock Dust, might as well use one that has some paramagnetic quality to it. Um, you know, that's about as far as my understanding, because you're going to get into diamagnetism, paramagnetism, the chemistry along with it. You can really get into the science of it, if, of it if you'd like. But the starting point is that book called Paramagnetism. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere. We should uh, we should bring in an expert on paramagnetism. Yeah, yeah, you look at the churches and how they're designed and some of the old castles and buildings and stuff, and it's pretty intense when you start getting into the paramagnetic properties and seeing how they built the building. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, like ley lines and things like that were definitely uh, yep. part of that for sure. Yep. Take some psychedelics, stand on a ley line, figure it out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> then you Take figure a couple sh- psychedelics, buy this book, and have a great time. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure, though. I've, I've, I, in Amsterdam, I noticed some of the interesting quirks of where the, how the buildings were built and the, definitely compared to the churches and how... All of a sudden, when you started looking at it from above, 
with like Google Earth and like looking at, oh, wow, actually, yep. they all lined up. <laughs> Look at that. You know? Yeah, you're all, wow, that lined up perfect. And yeah. this one has like a spire on top that connects with paramagnetic energy at these corners, just how the book's written. Yeah. And you're like, wow, apparently they thought about the actual construction more so than just from an artistic perspective. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it is definitely. Definitely. Yep. Well, we have to let you go, I think, because you're, you're. Yeah, you you have to work. You have to ship all the soil. We're we're getting we're getting everyone all yeah, excited they, on soil, yeah, and then we're not letting you ship it to know them. That as soon as I go on Adam Venture, they're like, "Oh no, we're going to be slammed for a week afterwards." <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all love it. So and then we don't let you fill the orders. It's we great. You guys. Oh well, we love hearing from you, bud, and we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. Thank you much. Thank Easy. you. Bye. <clears throat> a lot of info. Great show. Got to go back through it and take notes. I know it's just funny when you have to take notes of your own show because you're like, wow, missed that, missed that. Oh, what? Too busy doing the show. Yeah, but no, real good. Like I said, real good information. It's definitely going <clears> to <throat> be a 102 coming soon, I assume. Cause yeah. And then I think, here's what I'm thinking. We'll do, totally that's 101. Yes. I think we'll do 102. And then I think we'll make the 201 course. We'll do Building Soil 201, and that'll be... Like, the hands on him in the studio. Maybe, but I was going to say that would be like the pay course that we talked about doing at the end of last season. Ooh. Where people could sign up and do like a weekend seminar, maybe. You know, three days in a row. Could be, could be. Everyone can uh, Google Hangout or Skype in, talk to everyone. Could be cool. Sounds good, sounds good. Um, so, uh, interesting that you didn't know that it was a three hour show anymore. Yeah, it's, it's strange I how built it just, the timer wrong. It's I it's told you I was. My mom, t- my mom complains about it all the time. Yeah, how long it's too long. It nobody, is really long. Nobody listens anymore. I'm like, well, they, hey, well, let's go to the infographics that uh, will be up on the site instead of the little like, hey, fill out the survey. We're gonna actually put the answers to the survey up there. But what I'm looking through right here is, oh, they're still gonna have a place to take the survey still right if they have it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll have a link, but it won't cool. be as as big and bad as. <laughs> So actually, over fifty percent, or sorry, fifty percent listens to our show for over two hours. So that's over. So two hours. it was only, and this is when it was two hours mostly. Over two, up until no, 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 no. I mean, we started. Guess, we posted yeah. the survey in January. Oh, okay, so we already yeah. switched. But yeah, even before though, remember there were right there were people average, hanging out in the chat. Average room. listener time was longer than the show just because we're waiting for. First of all, they have to wait for the show because we right. never no, know. No, but but these start. are people. These are people who are voluntarily <laughs> oh, I know. answering that they listen for more. Than, and then thirty percent listen to you know thirty to ninety minutes there. Okay, even up to ninety though. But twenty five percent listen more than once a week to the show too. So you know they may listen going back in the archives. Right. That's what it sounds like. Because a lot of them are trimming weed. Right. Yeah. Did you see that that figure? That's my favorite one. I got the actual math. That's it. We need to have that as a It t-shirt. is 65% of uh, listeners uh, listen to the show while trimming cannabis. 42% do it often, very often, or always. That's nice. pretty good. That's nice. pretty good. That's like good. That. Yeah, that's a good ratio. Like a t-shirt. I don't know. Yeah, just this one, this, just this chart. <laughs> just 86% of listeners listen to the show while smoking or vaporizing at least sometimes. 52% do so very often or always. 56% listen to the show while working in their gardens. 35% do so often or always. 65% of listeners listen to the show while trimming, as we said. And, of course, 88% of the listeners listen to the show while traveling. 32 often, very often. Or yeah, well, that's always. good. Traveling's good because, I mean, that's one of those. If you're trimming while you're traveling, yeah, you're, you're, you're on the train yeah, with your trim bin, you're, you're the you're, man. You're just killing it. You're, you're, you're our major statistic uh, <laughs> booster. 
Uh, also, a big shout out. 7.25% of the survey responses were from Western Europe. Nice. That's pretty awesome. Uh, 1% from Australia. Half a percent from Africa. 91.25 from across North America, not just Colorado. It was actually pretty cool. I have a map that I could show you that's not included in this of mm-hmm. where all the responses came from. So they were kind of spread out. It's, a lot of East Coast. There's, they're, on the, they're all over the place. Here, I'll show you. I'll show. Uh, I can't put it up for everybody, so it's not nice, I guess, if I don't share, right? But they're all over the place. That's awesome. If you guys want to be part of the, the counted masses. Oh, here's what I need you guys to do. Chat room, listeners, check me out right now. You see the Facebook like button and the tweet button. Tweet button I'm less excited about, but the Facebook like button. I asked for this after the Terpenes show, and that shit got up to like 75 likes. It was wild. So I want to see this up to 100 likes. I think this was a good show, and everyone dug it. Yeah, and then, I mean, and don't forget to go through and, uh, you know, add, of course, the Adam Dunn Show on all your sure, social media. But that's even Twitter. a pain in the ass. But this one is like, go to AdamDunnShow.com. You're watching the show right now. You probably oh. should. If, you should be there right now chatting, looking in the forum, watching the show. That's why it's all there, you know? And then just click it. It's right on top there. Just Absolutely. click it. Just click it. Just, just click, click it. it. I'm watching. Just if you don't it. click it, we're not doing the rest of the show. Oh, oh no. They're clicking. I have to reload nobody's, the page to see the click. There is no rest of the show. Left. They, all, they all left. Now there's 19 minutes. They're like, forget about it. Yeah, but yeah. There, yeah, there's no plan for those 19 minutes. That's what oh, makes it awesome. Like that's I what makes it awesome. Like I got ever, two clicks already. We ever had a plan. Did we ever have a plan? No. Do you want to play some happens. of this music? It's really bad. No. <laughs> if you I say it's bad. bad I, took, so, I took a copy of each okay, of those. No, we're not going to listen to Ryan's bad music. No, that that's not my bad. music. It's it's some it. kid gave me those CDs to, because we awesome. asked for free music. It is terribly recorded okay, rock and roll. We definitely don't want that. That's great. That's not good. Tyler Dodd can't find the forum. All right, Tyler, here's the deal, dude. Go to adamdunshow.com. You might have to refresh your browser, so hold down control while you refresh the page. <laughs> then on top, you'll see home. Forum, sponsors, cast. Wait, did he say forum? Yes, he did. (laughs) That second thing, forum. Click it. Browser scrolls. You're there. If you're listening on your phone, you got to scroll down manually, but it's going to be between the chat window, then the new for 2015, you call the shots logo. After that comes the forum. Then under that will be the sponsors and then the cast and all that. We're going to get an app soon or what? Uh, I mean, we built a f- uh, totally flexible website, so we don't need an app. I know, but maybe it'd be easy. Tyler Dodd says he's on a Mac, not there. Hmm. Buddy man, um, I don't really know. I'm not on a Mac. Um, obviously, obviously but I will tell you, it's pretty low key. It's it's hard to you. It's easy to miss, is what I'm saying. Um, that's weird that it's not even up there on the bar, though. I'll have to look into that more and get back to you, Tyler Dodd. He has a special computer. Special, yeah, you need the special computer. No, I tested it from my phone even, so I don't know. Um, so what's it? So do you want to talk? Uh, what? What do you want to talk? Uh, uh, breeders Adzi? only seats. Yeah. Um, oh. Well. Oh. Breeders only seats. A lot of exciting first, things. It is first. at this. Yeah. Look, okay. here's the deal. You coming to town for April 18th? You're gonna be in town for the Cannabis Cup. 
Oh, what was your what was your what was your gripe today? This is not hardcore. It's not hardcore music. Not hardcore, bro. It's not hardcore. If you want to listen to music that the kid doesn't like, and 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 not just it must be quality music. Music that well, see, that's not true because he just offered to play a CD he thought was shit. It was terrible. I was going to put it on just because of that, but then I didn't want it to be really bad. It's really terrible. It's just the recording is really. So when he said recording was bad, it was. This is music that at least I I think is good, despite Ryan thinking it's bad. It's just I mean it's not I just I'm not a fan of it. It's more of a pop punk type style it's not really not really pop punk absolutely 100% is well not pop punk it's not newfound glory pop but it is old punky like hardcore punk it's It's called hardcore punk it's It's not not hardcore hardcore. there's hardcore music punk music and then there's hardcore people that went to those concerts had mohawks that were like (gasps) green no I no not not true not, not true. No, anyway, no mohawks. Dark Horse Genetics is presenting it. Why? It's the Bruce Banner Bowl, Murphy's Law, MF Ruckus, Sin Vita, Oriental Theater, April 18th. Doors are at 8 p.m. You can go to Oriental, theorientaltheater.com for tickets. They're going to have the tattoo hookup going on. You're just going to be... You're into away. that, right? Yeah, no, we already yeah. said you're going to get the Adam Dunn Show tattoo. Yeah, yeah, I'll get a flag. Cool. That's butt. nice. That's going to be from Mammoth butt. American Tattoo. Whatever. Whatever. And then we're we're going to be doing what we're going to be doing. What we're going to be doing is. Oh, oh, what about the crash of the bike? You didn't do that yet. Yeah, uh, people got upset at me for not crashing. I the know. Bike I saw do it at four twenty today. You're doing it at four twenty. Oh, yeah, you have a couple. Of, you still have time. Well, we need to find a way to get me a, another hour. bike, though. I need, I need a bike. Another bike. I will crash a bike, but I need to make sure that I have a bike to ride. You know. I'm still standing by the fact that the problem, I will lay The a biggest bike problem down. is no, it, it was going to be easy when there was a lot of snow. You could have just like slid it. Uh, it's going to be more painful here. Now you're going to really get this road rashed out. I just got a, a, a you're, nice... You're, you'll look like me next week. Uh, yeah. You'll be old. Yeah. Old I got a nice email from one of my friends over at, uh, at Silverback Management uh, the other day. So I guess uh, April or August 1st, is there's going to be a nice big concert at Red Rocks with uh, Slightly Stupid and nice. Dirty Heads. We'll get and, them in the show, uh, get us there, bring the baby. Figure. We'll be there too. Good. So, that yeah. sounds good. Um, so what I also want to say, at the Bruce Banner Bowl, if you guys... Seat spot. Seat swap. Seat swap. Seat swap. I know Mitch will be there. If you're a breeder, you can hit us up. Breeders only seat swap. If you're not a breeder, pop up seed bank. Get the beans you can't get. All the guys in the seed swap, get the beans. How do you get into the seed swap? Bring like, seeds. You bring seeds, right? Quality, yeah. good seeds, not poopy seeds. No, I mean, we have yeah. to know you is what it starts with. You can't just like show up with someone else's seeds. But hit so us I up. can't just go buy some seeds and bring them in. No. Yeah, I'm with his face, yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's that, for... That has happened, but we've heard. Heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it. Is it true? You want to talk about that? No, we can't because we don't know how the no facts. Let's have, invite the real ones to the any, seat swap. Uh, who are some of the confirmed uh, confirmed ADSI guests? ADSI, you want to talk ADSI? That's yeah. all top secret stuff, isn't it? That's. I mean, I don't even. If want you're to invited, talk. you're invited, and if you're not, you're not. This is the way it is. That's so why it's called the Adam Dunn Show Invitational. Yeah, you have to be invited. Right. Do don't make me be rude. So I can't about like I can't shit. start advertising about an invitational. It's like talking about. It's like uh, it's, it's bl- like Bilderberg or something. Hey, let's talk about Bilderberg. Well, I, I feel like it's Bilderberg. Bilderberg. Not Bilderberg. Ryan doesn't Bilderberg. know what Bilderberg is. Bilderberg. I no, wish. I, never I wish Bilderberg. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. I like my own burger. It snarfs. I need a snarfs burger. Oh, That'd be so good. Talk, don't talk oh, like crap. Anyway, no. In general, yeah, it's. Uh, 
ADSI is going to be pretty cool. It's pretty, uh, secret, I'm, pretty top I'm, secret thing that you're not supposed to talk about ever. No. But about it I'm going to be bit. sending out a reminder exactly one month before ADSI to everyone who got Which an original <laughs> invite. The reminder is going to be in like a week and a half. And we may yes, have, we in may a week have and a half, yes. We're, talk, we're not 100% sure, but we may be having a big mega prize for the winner, too. Hopefully. Could be. Did you find a sponsor to provide the mega prize? It's not about the sponsor. You just get in yet. touch with the. Uh, it's not about the sponsor. About it's about the possible European trip for somebody. Oh, that know. mega prize! Yeah. Wow, that, yes. I haven't heard about that. I was going to say yeah, the other yeah. one. We could so, just get in touch with uh, so the Adzi's WWE. Getting, Adzi's getting pretty serious. So if you get if you get invited to Adzi, you really want to get involved in this one because there could be trips and like brand new cars. Did you say the word castle? Castles. I heard the word yeah. castle, brand right? New cars? No, I don't know about brand castle. new cars, but the word cars castle was good to me. I was going to say, no, wow. Behind this door. Brand new car. Brand I, new car. Oh, man. That'd be good, right? Stuffed with weed, man. Stuffed with weed, yeah. Uh, folks yeah. want to know if there's going to be any THC seeds at the Pop Up Seed Bank. Of course, gonna of course there's going to be. Banner Cup is uh, it's not the Banner Cup, it's the Banner Bowl. Banner Bowl, we don't see and Cup. That's going to be April 18th. You can get your ticket at theorientaltheater.com. So, uh, Boom. Come listen to some punk music. So, um, also Cup time. I mean, there's uh, multiple events coming. What are we doing? Are we, are we well, doing anything? Raekwon's coming. Can we get him on the show? That should be nice. Should be right. Oh, Raekwon is coming? Raekwon oh, and yeah. Ghost we, are we coming, be and then Meth and Red are coming. coming. I believe I hear on 420 Collybuds is going to be here at Green Labs, too, he, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, really? so he'll be doing an interview. I think there'll be some, some Dixie folks here. I so. was going to say, he's also a silverback artist. Yes, he is. So, um, so I'm pretty sure that, uh, that he'll the, be right and here. Then got the, and then we've thing. got also the Hordy360 show going on at the same location from the 14th and 15th. That's going to be interesting. That's the first round of that. Same guys that are doing the Galleria, which is the couple the big Galleria, big Galleria. Really? So what is the show? Horty three hundred and sixty. It's called Horty, like Horticulture three hundred and sixty. Horty three hundred and sixty. Horty three hundred and sixty. And it's going to be a two-day event, and it's basically it looks like they're really trying to go more business to business. Um, Meaning like grow shops, dispensaries? Yeah, grow, mostly grow shops. No, grow shops and, uh, and supply set. So they're trying to sell to grow shops at this No, show. they're trying to have distributors go there and like uh, get other people to come in and start you know, hawking their wares, basically. I so, got you. So it's mostly for the bigger, it's mostly for distribution, I think, and for, you know, like uh, get the lighting guys down there to show off their stuff. And uh, kind of cool, though, because it'll be... It's not like you go to the hydro shows and you're all like, "Oh, but it's up all for tomatoes," you know. And it's like, "Come on, guys! It's like, can we ever, can we just like get over that?" You know what I mean? So it will be a direct cannabis uh, growing thing. They have seminars and they're talking about doing. I guess they're doing all that. So very, you know, big organization too. Big. You notice I say big mm-hmm. multiple times. Big, big. But uh, no, good good job. So yeah, I think they're pretty much running out of booth space, also too. So it's gonna be big. We have a booth there. Big, big, big. Yeah, I think we do. Cool. Incredible is uh, is gonna be killing it at the cup this year too. Incredible Industries. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know who you're you talking. Gotta clarify. About. See, you do we have a booth at the cup? What's that? Do we have a booth at the cannabis? Are we gonna do yes. like this? We have a booth are we gonna cup. do like? We have, no, we have a booth. We have a booth everywhere. We have, we're all booth up. Yeah, we're all booth up. Everywhere. Out. Nice. Yep. Yes, we do. All boofed up. All nice. boofed. We're boofed up. All boofed up. Hideous. Boofed up. Adzied. 
Sounds gross when you say it like that. We got I don't eight like minutes the left. Yeah. What's that? Boof or boo? Adzy. Well, when you say Adzy with boof, it makes it sound. <laughs> like <laughs> just Adzy sounds. I think ADSI. All right, it's about that time they're dropping like fro- flies, oh, kid. Oh, man. Why, no, no, no. We got eight minutes left, kid. Why don't you see how many you can get rid of in the next eight minutes? It's like that. Uh, when the time's counting down, it's two minutes two, and you got to destroy the car. Can get rid of. So let's just say our goodbyes. We got minutes oh, left. Minutes. It's okay. People Tell are us leaving. about your motorcycle. How short. fast did it go? It's a little. It's nice. It, I, I watched you drive it away. I was, was supposed to meet up with. I was supposed to meet up with. It was not pathetic. It was. It was like. You have a scooter license. Because he lives in Amsterdam. Because I had to. Because I had to let a little vehicle but, and I uh, pulled over all the time. On it. I was going to ride it today, but I was supposed to be meeting with Short to drop some some things off for... for oh, hey, hey. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Short had some other things that he had to uh, attend oh. to, so I'll probably have to just uh, drop him off there later, so I don't have the bike. I'm a little disappointed. So you said that when I saw you on the weekend, that was the funniest thing you'd heard about the bike? Or a good one? Or when were you did, being what do you mean when I saw when you? What is the funniest thing that I had heard? What, the guy what did you say? To him, telling him yeah. it was for girls? That no, was no, but you that said, what did you say? I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. If a part breaks, you can just take it from a lawnmower. Yeah, that was funny. Because it's so it. small. It's pretty small. It's small, but it's okay. I'll be getting a bigger Not a riding so, mower. Also, <clears throat> also, before we do the shout outs and all that stuff, yeah, what else um, we have two days left. If you are in retail or you have a shop or you have a dispensary or you have a grow shop or you have a, any kind of a place that you want to sell hood lamb next year or this year i should say for the winter collection um so you got two days to get in and uh it's you can contact us at the same places you can just check out the gear i guess too Ryan, come on, you're the man. Yeah, shop shop.hoodlabstore.com. <laughs> I, I, I always stumble. Yeah, I check it out. You know, again, shop.hoodlabstore.com. They have all of the different hoodlamp gear there. They have photos of him on there. Photos with of head, me on there with my head off. chopped off. Yes, but no, they have literally um, photos of multiple angles, almost every color of every product that Hoodlamp sells on there. Plus all your uh, your Adam Dunshaw merch on there too. So check it out. And exactly. Ryan's modeling them all. Guys, I'm modeling the guys and the stuff. real stuff. So check yeah. it out. Dude. It is it's pretty, pretty funny. funny. It's funny stuff. Um, so again, shop.hoodlamstore.com. Hood Lab Store. Oh, yeah. Shop. See, hood Lab Store. Even I messed it up now. Oh, man. Shop.hoodlabstore.com. Because Hood Lab is our what? shop. Hood Lab's the shop, and, and it's a that's store. Not really no, it's a store five shop. minutes. Shop.hoodlabstore.com. <laughs> there you go. Good job. Good job. Um, Kid, don't you what? have any shout outs? Come in on. Your shout outs for real. So I Besides your dog, because that's. No, that's, it's okay. That, um, I mean, I, I want to give a shout out today to, to the. Um, the guys at uh, Healthstone Glass, they gave me that, that piece while we were at the Cup, and the owner of that actually is uh, has put in a lot of um, work with somebody who's pretty big and known in uh, the Instagram and the social media thing because he's, his uh, Luke the Brave is his, his hashtag. He had uh, some very, very severe cancer. He just turned 21. Um, he had a very severe cancer for the past couple years of his life if not more um and i'm pretty not mistaken i'm pretty sure he just passed away yesterday um so and i know the guys from health center super super nice and super caring guys so a shout out goes to to them and and to their family and anybody who you know is suffering from from cancer or the aftermath of losing somebody from cancer so um that's what i'm going to send my shout out to today there you go kid good shout out kid see heartfelt sentiment the kids shout and my pup i love duke I have a similar a similar shout out also to um, John from Illegal. The shop we're going to go check out their spot tomorrow with nice. a little contingency. Well, tomorrow is going to be interesting. It's going to have a, a NASA technician who uh, developed the ventilation on the space yeah. station, so that'll be dope. But 
we're going to check out the Wait, spot. is he going to help us get high in space and accomplish my lifelong I th- goal? I think that's going to be the plan. I want to go on one of those planes where, like, you get the zero-G planes. All right, don't get off the subject. Can, I have to give my condolences also to John because he lost his father the other day, and I don't know how or why, so I'm not going to read no details. But he, uh, so he won't be able to be there while we're there. They check it out the spot, but he's got his guy, boy Garrett going to be there hooking it up, so I'm going to give him a call after the show. And uh, I'll be seeing the guys over there. And apparently they listen to the show religiously, so all the crew there. Well, big shouts. So big yeah. shout-outs to the crew Absolutely. listening to us, hopefully learning something. We'll have to listen to it again, like I said, because there was a lot a lot of info today. A lot of info. Oof. Yes, sir. So illegal. What about you, Mitchell? Would you, would you turn me on? Professor so you go. I'm, I have to say you turn me on to illegal. Oh, you like them? Is it pronounced illegal? I would. I, I thought would. it was just legal. I say illegal. I think illegal sounds funnier. Because I like it's it. Illegal. That's what I say. Illegal. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Illegal. I think that's the opposite <laughs> of what they're trying to mean. So I think that's <laughs> really right. funny. Oh wait, well, I'll I'll be schooled tomorrow. Uh, we'll find okay. out how I'll get schooled it. tomorrow. Okay. But yeah, you actually turned me on. Yes. And then they apparently appreciate us. Yeah, they apparently they should appreciate. Why? Well, you know, that would be that is a dispensary that I would be proud to have sponsored the show. Their their product they, is killer. Yeah. There you go. See, we, we haven't had one really that we've been. No, not like a real deal. We haven't. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, I mean we, we kind of. I mean, kind of deal. Kind of deal. Hey. A done deal. A, a done deal. Though. All right, guys, hit All that right. fa- hit that Facebook like button again. Let's do our real shout outs. Boom. All right. Of course, shout out to a beautiful wife, Reese, little baby Farron, who crawled up two steps yesterday. No, crawled up. Two her, steps? I saw her walk up that step at Kyle's house with you holding hands. That was awesome. Oh, big day. It's for happening. Farron. It's happening. Yeah, she's full on like face planting once a day. Yeah, she's like doing a lot of stuff that can make you fall, and she doesn't get the idea that if she doesn't put her hands out, it's gonna catch her on the face quite yet. But she's getting it. She's getting it. That's it. Those are big shoutouts. Those are my shoutouts. What else you guys got? All right, shout out to my beautiful FCC, who is running that store there, and also taking care of the kids, and also running everything. And man, man, she's like yesterday we went through the whole garage and tore it out and redesigned it. And Did you say hoard out? Tore it out. Tore it out. Gotcha. Tore it That's out. good. That's good. And then uh, put it all back together and sort of getting our did our spring cleaning for once. It's like the first time in my life I've ever done spring cleaning. Feels nice, right? Free, a little bit even early, like yeah. early in the well, spring. Well, it was like seventy degrees it today. Like so, it felt yeah. like spring yeah. yesterday. So um, we Let's got go we got a lot done. And then uh, shout out to my mom down at the farm holding it down with uh, Kyle and Gannon and the crew. Gannon, 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 and the crew. Um, Heard Cannon got in some trouble the other day. Hopefully he's he's okay now. Did Link slay him? No, he. Anyone get that? I'm assuming. I guess he got pulled over. I guess he got pulled over and <laughs> had a, had a warrant out or something. Ooh, had to spend oops. a night in jail. So, oops. So, uh, get those warrants situated. Got to take care of those things. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I think for my shout outs today. Right on. What are we doing time-wise? We're good to go. So We are good yeah, to go. So it's going to be another uh, next week. Uh, we are. What are we doing next week? Well, yeah. so here's my yeah, proposal so real quick. Proposal? So, so Monday is my birthday. You're not going to be here next oh, week, yeah. right? I'm not going to be uh, here. We're not doing this. So we're doing it. No, so Monday is, no, we already know what we're doing. Monday is my He's gonna birthday. He's going to be in Seattle. I'll You're be in gonna, Seattle. We're going to try to do... Yes. We're working on something really Tuesday. special. I don't want to announce it until we have confirmed. No, we want to do like... We're going to continue kind of what we started when I was there last time because we had some Tuesday good Tuesday St. Patrick's Day. I understand that. So we need to have a tie-in on Wednesday for St. Patrick's Day. Which is? What? Drunk people? I want to have drunk day. (laughs) 
No, you're already out you're of control. You're not gonna you sit and here. I are going to sit here and just get uh, drunk during the show. Adam's going to be in Seattle, and we're going to talk to the guys who made Northern Lights, I I'm think, gonna, actually. That's the idea. All right, you know what? Chat room vote. Would you rather see Ryan get drunk, or would you rather get the Northern Lights story? How's I mean, that I'll go? get, I'm going to get drunk either way. That's all we need I'm to just know. Thank you Post guys. in the forum with your vote on I'm that. I'm going to get drunk And click like. Way. No, There's, you are not. I'm going to get hammered either way. All right. See you guys next week. Yeah. We don't want you to smoke genetically modified ganja. We want you to smoke the real thing. We want you to smoke the natural herb. Some call it marijuana. Some call it sensimedia. Some call it lamb's bread. And some people call it. Ganja.